Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Wanke, and as always, I'm here with Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart in tow. Buongiorno. It's good to have the tow with us for the first time this week. The detachable tow. And how good is it to be alive? Well, I for one wish I was never born. (laughs) (laughs) Two great catchphrases. Two great catchphrases. For new listeners, there's a time code below to skip all this stuff and start with the report starts. Hey, Dave. Let's get into that, hey? All right. Why not? How does what, this show work, Time Jess? code is right now. <laughs> well, one of the three of us goes away, researches a topic usually suggested by the listeners. They bring all that research, all that new knowledge back to the other two mm. who sit politely, who listen intently, and who live, laugh, love, and learn. <laughs> um, Damn right. Except on Dave's episodes where Matt and I become the sass twins. Yeah. So, look out, Dave. We're going to fuck you up. Get ready to be sassed, you little bitch. <laughs> yeah, you little bitch. <laughs> you bitch. Yeah. Da- Dave, Dave, you don't get to do it. You don't get to you do don't it. Get to do look it. at us, Dave. Dave. Both at the same look time. Look at us. <laughs> One I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm turning around. You don't get to do it. This is the voice I'm this turning around. This is not for you. The wrong way. <laughs> is, this for, is this for us? Yes. Is it for you? No. No. Now, we always get onto the topic with a question. Dave, do you have a question? Here is a question, you little bitches. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. I need to defend myself. It was almost problematic because it sounded like he was saying, you little bitch, just to me. And you you can't do that. But then he he changed it to, bitches. Totally fine. Right. I, so the loophole, you pluralise anything. Well, it was all directed at Dave. You weren't involved at all, Jess. But I, I did, I did. Pause there, and that's why the pronunciation got weird. Because I'm like, we can can we still say bitches? <laughs> Which is such you a funny can't, thing. No. I can't. Okay, no, but I can. Even if you you're put a bitch, a, <laughs> even if you put a funny little accent on, like not bitch, <laughs> yeah. I'm so gun shy. <laughs> Great. Well, the time code would be to this point. <laughs> My question for you is: Last week we talked about horses. Yeah, love. We love talking about horses, but this week 
Talking about something else. When travelling to... Zebras. All giraffes. Neither of you correct, but you are on the right track. My question is, when travelling to the Aussie Outback, oh. what is the superior animal camel. to ride? Camel. Matt is there with a camel. Well, sorry for being polite and letting Dave finish a question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you were so polite then. Shut up. When you yelled Shut camel. <laughs> the yachts of the desert. Is that what they're called? Something like that? People do say that. Or they say- I've Ships also read, of the desert or something? They also describe them as uh, a camel is a horse if designed by committee. Oh, that's fun. Bit of fun. Wow. It's like the Homer was a car <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. designed by a Homer. It's weird, but it gets the results. <laughs> yeah. I don't fully get it, but yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people can't all agree on, they're like, it needs to have these kind of hooves, but it also needs this kind of hump. Oh, yeah. And everything, you put it together and you go, that doesn't look like an animal. If I was designing the perfect animal, especially one to ride, mm. um, I would absolutely be like, put some humps on it. Yeah, yeah put a hump. I yeah, d- let's not make this easy. <laughs> I'd, I'd pick a motorbike. Do some camels have two humps? Yeah. Bactrian. And then the drum- Dromedry. Dromedry are the single humped. Yeah. I can't, Much more common. I can, yeah. I, was, I can't picture that. As a kid, I reckon cartoons of camels mm. had two humps. Mm-hmm. But I can't picture a real life camel having two humps. Yeah, I think they're they're, they're much less common. I think they're- Are they from- They're from Asia. I'm not sure I can picture a camel. Mm. You know? <laughs> Like, I could, if you show me a picture, I'd be like, that's a camel. Yeah. But right now, just trying to conjure one in my imagination. Can't conjure a camel. I can, but it's 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 fuzzy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they're, they're pretty fuzzy. I'm showing the two humped, the Bactrian Whoa. camel. That's a real one. I, yes, I've it, never seen so much neck fluff on a camel. Look at that. Look at that. Beautiful neck beard. Beast. Beautiful that's beast. a real neck beard type animal. Today, we are talking about the other, though, which is the dromedary camel. <laughs> uh, Sorry boring. to say. Can I just, can I zone out now? Yeah, okay. If you, if you don't if you don't want to talk about camels, because this is a uh, heavily camel based. There we go. Yeah, that's, that's a classic, classic, camel. classic camel. Showing you a, a dromedary camel. But uh, Dave, oh, you know that two hump camel. I wouldn't call that a two hump camel. I'd call that a one valley camel. <laughs> <laughs> and I think in a lot of ways that one does look like the superior riding camel. Yeah. I'd much prefer to sit in sit a in valley than on the top right. of a, ca- a, a yeah. camel. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Uh, hump. I think that does really sum you up, though. Most people focus on the peaks, but you focus on the trough. Yes. I'm a real glass half full guy. Put me in that trough. Freaking hell. You're a, real, you're a real pain in the ass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, what are we talking about? We're talking about camels. We're talking specifically about the Great Australian Camel Race. Yes. You heard of this? No. Uh, no. <laughs> Before researching this, neither had I, but it is a wild ride. Awesome. On a camel. So, let me take you back. The year was 1988. Oh, wow. Re- more recent than I thought yeah, it was going to be. Yeah, it's way yeah. more recent. Okay, yeah. It's the uh, bicentenary exactly. year. Exactly. The year Australia celebrated the bicentenary, which marked 200 years since the arrival of the first fleet of 11 British convict ships at Sydney in 1788. And at the time in 1988, this was a big deal. Yeah, I mean, the country had existed for 200 years <laughs> and there hadn't been anything before that. Exactly. Pretty right. cool. 200. We're a pretty young country. We're incredibly young. The Probably one of the youngest, mm. I would say. The And, yeah, just what if, it just seems still seems like a funny date as well. It's like the day the convicts arrived. Yeah. Well, obviously, that's when the country began. Yeah. <laughs> a few crooks yeah. set foot on land. You know, people were arrested for stealing bread to feed their family. Or much worse. Um they Irishman. arrived. <laughs> Silly families Whoa. to feed their Being bread. Irish. <laughs> Silly families to feed their bread. <laughs> Get in there. <laughs> Soda bread, delicious. Oh, delicious. <laughs> Breed their families to steal their. No. 
Yeah, there was, some, there was something in something there. Something in there. Anyway, um, obviously we're being um, a bit tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, um, a bit of sarcasm detected there. sarcasm. But at the time, the bicentenary was marked by pomp and ceremony across Australia. In fact, the Australian Bicentennial Authority Act 1980 was set up to plan, fund and coordinate projects that emphasised the nation's cultural heritage. Mm. And uh, specifically the 200-year bar. There was a a bunch of events across the country, including a reenactment of the first fleet arriving and also World Expo 88 held in Brisbane. Expo 88 itself was huge, attracting more than 15.7 million visitors. They had a wig sphere there as well, didn't they? Or something like that? Yeah, there's still a, there's a, a building that they're still proud of up there that's, that exists. <laughs> that's so patronising. <laughs> there's a little building they're still proud they're of still up there. They're still so proud of it. Yeah, this is like a sort of, it's like a little, I don't know, like a little missile sort of shaped building. I'd love to talk about it. I would have been and the there. the Echo Winds, the Brisbaneites oh, love to talk about the, the Echo Winds. <laughs> I love that. Love anything Echo related. Oh, I love but Echo. I couldn't believe that. 15.7 million visitors. Australia's population in 1988 was only 16.5 Doubled billion. Doubled it up. So nearly everyone went, or a lot of overseas people. It was it was it was big. No, nearly everyone went. I think that the problem is that it would make a more sense to celebrate based on Federation, which is January 1st, 1901, right? Yeah. But it's it's what a, it's not the right day. It's like everyone's just done New Year's Eve. Yeah. So I think that's why it doesn't work. And they were like, oh, you know, 2001, it's sort of already millennium and stuff. But 1988. 88, that's a – and I think it's also like politicians and organisers are like, but if we do it in 88, then we can be involved, you know. Mm-hmm. If we wait till when we probably should do it yeah. in 20-something years, I might be dead. Yeah, and I can't handle that. I want to be part of a legacy. Yeah. That's why I think politicians are great. Yeah, me too. Short-term thinking. Yes. <laughs> well, someone who was there for, for a long time after this, the Queen, opened the event, Expo 88. RIP. Then they had performances from classic Aussie acts like John Farnham, <gasps> Ice House, <gasps> Mental as Anything, <gasps> and also international acts like Julio Iglesias, <gasps> oh my God. John Denver, <gasps> and even Cher came down. Get the fuck out. This yeah. is an all-time great lineup. Get it's huge. the fuck out. John Farnham and Cher on the same lineup. Mm. Back to back. Um, okay, heaven. Do you remember the time we did the Woodstock episode and you were like, you know what, I'd go, and I was like, absolutely not, and that angered you to no end. I angered. You were angered. You were furious. <laughs> you oh, no, I wouldn't go. I'd you- flip tables in glee sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were recording in isolation. It was a little bit weird. You just trashed your own house. <laughs> <laughs> and we just watched. Yeah, we watched. We were like, what? From our comfortable clean You took the headphones off so we couldn't calm you down. <laughs> we just had to watch Just sort of saw us waving at the screen. <laughs> it's okay, mate. It's okay. Oh, I thought you were cheering me on. <laughs> I thought they were, those waves were saying, keep it up. Keep it up. Set the table on fire now. <laughs> that am I. <laughs> <laughs> I just meant I'd love to see this lineup. That wasn't worth Yeah. No, I haven't yet. Well, I would I would see this lineup. I've seen a few of these bands, seen Mental as Anything, seen Ice House. So you've seen, seen Farnsey. You've seen Farnsey at Jess's Christmas party that yeah. time? No, I had to I had to slum it at uh I, <laughs> No, I had to um unfortunately just go to a Rod Laver. Oh, I've so seen him at Rod Laver a couple of times. So you were like way back. I yes. was like, he touched my hand. Yeah. He didn't touch true? my hand, but he yeah, did touch he did. my hand. Oh, my heart. gosh. I don't think you mentioned that He part touched my before. hand. He shook my hand. What was that like? Oh my and God. did you walk Heavenly. off shaking? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a lyric in a John Farnham song. <laughs> he touched my hand and I walked 
stuff shaking. And if anyone knew ah. that, they would have really enjoyed that. It was that a great is, line. Honestly, <laughs> such a great reference that yeah. we didn't get. It's a deep cut. Well, should, if I didn't explain it, then a few of the true Farnsy heads out there would have just like quietly gone, yes, we got it. But That was for us. Now I've made said. it for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. But Jess, you're already in on this lineup. Yep. What have I tell you? It doesn't end there. Get the fuck out. I mainly bring this up so I can read this sentence from Wiki for Jess. Oh, my God. At the closing ceremony of World Expo 88. There's a closing ceremony? Yeah, it was huge. It went for like a month, like for weeks. Uh, at the River Stage, a concert showcased all the Expo's entertainers singing and dancing. The concert finished up with Australian pop folk band yes. The Seekers yes. singing one of their songs, The Carnival is Over, yes. at the very end of the celebrations, which has become an Australian tradition. Apparently, I've never heard that before. But as Judith Durham was not available to join The Seekers for Expo 88, <laughs> closing ceremony celebrations. <laughs> they got John Stevens. <laughs> well, he seems to fill in for everyone. Who'd they get? They got Australian soprano Julie Anthony joining the group as lead vocalist in her stead. Wow. And- Julie also has a connection to a previous topic because she sang the Australian National Anthem at the opening ceremony of the 2000 Olympics with Human Nature. Oh, my God. She's performed with the Seekers. She's performed with Human Nature. <sighs> Big deal. What can't she do? What can't she do? Maybe, yeah. I, I think of John Stevens as being the great fill-in guy, but maybe it's really- Julie Anthony. Julie Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> Julie Anthony, is she? It really does sound like an, an Aldi Julie Andrews. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got one of them here too. <laughs> We've actually got our own Julie, which is pretty great. So the Julie Andrews mum has at home, whatever that meme is, doesn't matter. Edit oh, all that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Edit everything I've said out, please, please. You want to turn off I'm your serious, mic? actually, though. Please edit. Can you be pretty brutal on what I've said so far when you're editing? Please, I'm not joking. <laughs> But Exo 88, it was this whole thing and there were lots of other events across the country. And one man had an idea for an event at the centre of Australia. Cut to the desert. It gets hot in Australia's red centre. Explorer Charles Sturt recorded temperatures of 50 degrees Celsius in the shade. He wrote in his diary, It was so hot, the screws fell out of the wooden boxes. The men's hair fell out and the lead melted in the pencils they wrote with. Whoa. So it's hot. Yeah. And be- it's a bit too hot. Because it was this hot, the deserts and temperatures proved impenetrable for many of these early European explorers, like Sturt, who were using horses. And in the 1860s, it was suggested that they start using camels. Their horse would melt. Oh, <laughs> into glue. That. Yeah, you don't want that. They get very sticky when they're hot yeah. horses. Right, we stick them back together yeah. when it cools down. Yeah, get a committee involved. You got yourself a fucking camel. You got a camel. It was said, they said, hey, should we use camels instead? And I've previously done a mini report on Australia's first camel, Harry. Do you remember this? It was very naughty and even sh- ended up shooting the person riding it. Oh, yeah. Was that live in Adelaide? Live in Adelaide. Bit of sizzles. Astounding Animals, episode 177. Oh, yeah. Very vague memory. But I remember so Jess talked about Groundhog Day. Oh, yeah. Punks Tony Pill. Punks Tony Pill. <laughs> Something like that. Phil. <laughs> And I talked about a gangster who rode around an emu that probably didn't really exist. Oh. Yep, no, no it's memory. It's good to reminisce, isn't it? Isn't it? Our <laughs> one time in Adelaide. Well, let's reminisce some more because Australia's first major inland expedition to use camels as a main form of transport was Burke and Wills oh, yes. in 1860, which is Matt's first ever report on the mm. show. So we've spoken a bit about camels before. They were imported from Arabia, India and Afghanistan. 
Camels were vital to the early development of colonised Australia, allowing telegraph and rail lines to be built and used to transport gold during the gold rush. The famous Gan train journey from Adelaide to Darwin is named after the Afghan Cameliers, who had earlier made the long journey on camels. By the mid-1890s, more than 4,500 camels had been introduced for use in the gold fields of Central Australia and WA, but all good things must come to an end. Every single camel died? Well, kind of the opposite. Eventually, with the introduction of the motor car, a lot of the cameleers found their services were no longer required, and with the industry wrapping up, some of the camels were just released into the desert, where they have absolutely thrived, and now the Northern Territory government has estimated that at one stage recently was over one million feral camels in Australia, and that population may double in size every nine years. What? Wow. Although there's been several culls over recent years, there's still hundreds of thousands of them out there. Wild. I think it's rough calling them feral. Yeah. You know? Not their fault. I reckon, like, they're just camels. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What do you want to call them? Camels. Oh, okay. Why are they feral? Yeah. You know? I just don't think it's right. Stray? Stray camels? Does that make you feel better? Stray camels. Yeah. yeah like you'd say, like, a feral cat now, more days, more now you'd hear stray, maybe. Yeah. Does that feel better? It just, I'm like, why are we blaming this camel? Uh huh. You know? What did he do? Sure. He's just trying to survive. Yep. The only way he knows how. Mm-hmm. By fucking. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And finding out. Making way more camels. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they love to hump. <laughs> <laughs> I know one thing about camels. <laughs> I want to cl- clarify something to you, just in the room. Yeah. My face then, I think, could have been interpreted as disappointed in you. No, no, that's and all I, right. No, no, no. And I want to clarify that I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. And I loved it. Okay. And I realised as I was reacting that I looked upset, but I, I promise oh, I you I was, was not. I thought that was right. I no, thought you were no, spot no. on. I loved it. I thought your face was It was a bit on. of jealousy. I was like, <laughs> yeah. God damn it. Well, I wish I was that quick. I'm not on my A game today. I'll be, you know, I'll be upfront about that, but fuck, that was good. Oh. Great stuff. All right, D-Dub, keep going. This, so, is, this is fun. One man saw the camels as an integral part of the history of See, Australia. See, this is what I'm talking about. Why don't we, let's not call them feral camels, let's call them integral camels. Yeah, this man, he's a big fan of the camel. And that man was Australian millionaire Arthur Earle. Born and bred in the bush, he'd made his fortune as a property developer on the Gold Coast and he had money to burn. Whoa. A biography on Arthur Earle by Sandy Thorne called On the Shake of a Hand, colon, The Story of Arthur Earle. OAM Bushman, Businessman, Gentleman. Okay, could have done a little bit of editing in the title <laughs> yeah. there, but... And the whole thing is written in very in a very de- defensive way about Arthur. <laughs> this, is, this is... Let me read from uh, Sandy Thorne's words here. He was okay, all right? <laughs> he was actually quite a nice guy when you got to know him. And, uh, like you do... It feels like right off the bat I've made some assumptions about a guy who's made his millions selling property on the Gold Coast. <laughs> yeah. No, this guy's going to be feral. What's Sandy got to say? Oh. He's going to be a POS. Giving people a Apologies place to, to live language. in paradise? Surfer's paradise? You think that there's something wrong with that? What, you think surfers don't need a place to live? No, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it like that. Where would all the toolies stay if it wasn't for him? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Just a question <laughs> Whatever this guy's name was again. Arthur, Arthur Earl. Thank you, Arthur. Although I have written in my words, Arthur Earl. Arthur Earl. Okay, Arthur Earl. what's Sandy got to say? So, Sandy writes, everybody likes horses. <laughs> Arthur was a true horseman, not just a rider, and loved horses, but he felt it was time the contribution- I think they call them centaurs, horsemen. 
Am I wrong there? You make it hard to edit you out <laughs> when you just jump in. I'm just with I'm, every dog shit thought you've ever had. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot we're supposed to sass Dave. That no, was, that that's was right. great. I needed that's that. Good stuff. I thought that one was one of my better ones, but you're probably right. A true horseman. A true horseman. Not just a rider, but I love that. Everybody loves likes horses. So defensive. Arthur was a true horseman, not just a rider, and loved horses, but he felt it was time that the contribution of the camel to Australia's pioneering history should be acknowledged loud and clear. So a couple of years before 1988, ideas to celebrate the bicentenary were asked to be put forward, and Arthur attended some town hall meetings. And again, from the bio, Sandy writes, his entrepreneurial brain clicked into gear, and he could see it. See what the event should be. A great camel race from the centre where the overland telegraph line could never have been built without the help of the camels across the outback of the Territory in Queensland to the Gold Coast. Arthur was typically in, quote, think big mode. Oh, yeah. He's blue skying. <laughs> he is blue skying out loud. All the time. When he stood up at the second meeting, chaired by Shire Chairman Bill Laver, and announced that he'd like to run a camel race from the centre across to the Gold Coast, his idea was too big for ordinary people to grasp and was greeted with laughter. What? I mean, sure, you're not into it, but I don't know if you're laughing at it as an idea. A camel race. (laughs) What if you lost your mind? We race horses here. We have a race at Sopsonation with horses. <laughs> We're not going to race camels. Come on. That is, isn't that, a, that feels like a bizarre response. Well, no one wanted anything to do with his idea. No one. Would. So he decided he'd do it himself anyway. He wanted the race to celebrate the Australian outback and the bush, and he announced to get the event started, he would personally donate $100,000 of prize money if no sponsor could be found. Okay. I'm your plan B, okay? Yeah. yeah. Ideally, we'll get he a said, sponsor. It but, will go ahead. But as a backup plan, I will kick in what's in my wallet. 100 grand. 100 grand. Is this man like, he's got an orange spray tan, I'm guessing. And he's wearing like, in my head, he's wearing like a white safari suit. <laughs> and he has very, very white teeth. Yes. <laughs> You've nailed it. But he's orange and his hair's like a, a weird sort of. Really light blonde and sort of like, it's, he's got quite a lot of hair. Yeah. That's what I'm imagining. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. Yeah. Real thick. So, so, so people weren't l- laughing at his idea. They were just laughing at his look when he stood up at the town hall Why meeting. would they laugh at his look? It's a it's fantastic a great look. look. He's a hottie. Yeah, I laugh at things that I'm jealous of. Okay. Yeah. Because why I laugh at both of you? You're not funny, but you look great. True. Also, it's just about our looks. God, you're a piece yeah, of shit. What a piece of shit. Why do you think people listen to this show? We also have pretty pretty average personalities, I think you'll find. <laughs> so he said, I'll put up 100 grand if no sponsor can be found. Thankfully, Sheraton Hotels, the good people at Sheraton. <laughs> this episode brought to you by the good people at Sheraton Hotels. I choose to say at the Sheraton. <laughs> when I'm traveling, <laughs> I like to take a little piece of home with me. They stepped in to sponsor the event, but it would still cost. <laughs> and to sponsor our travels. <laughs> so they were like, all right, we'll, we'll sponsor the event, but it would still end up costing the founder a personal fortune to get this race up and running. Wow. Arthur also wanted the race to raise money for the Royal Flying Doctors Service, 
which for those who are overseas or don't know, are a non-profit air medical service and provide emergency and primary healthcare services for those living in rural, remote and regional areas of Australia. So it's a nice thing to raise money yeah, for. Yeah, pretty amazing organisation. Yeah, they're incredible. So he had this big idea and to get it off the ground, Arthur travelled across the outback trying to get government sponsorship on board in Darwin and in Alice Springs and also to check out a potential race route. Arthur was travelling with a guy called John Nielsen in a Mercedes, which they were advised was not appropriate to travel across the desert and that they'd likely need rescuing. They ignored this advice and took off from the pub they were staying at in Bullia in outback Queensland. And this is again from the biography. John was to drive the first leg. With the early morning light in his eyes and Arthur half blind beside him, he lined up at the road, went to roar off and wound up somehow driving straight over the edge of the ramp where the publican unloaded his beer. They hadn't noticed it was actually a ramp. (laughs) (laughs) Not a great start. Not a great start to this journey across the desert. Is this the bit they were saying you're probably going to need rescue from that ramp? (laughs) (laughs) I love this description. They hadn't noticed it was actually a ramp. They were both looking past it to the road. When the front wheels dropped suddenly over the edge of it, John twigged. He'd made a blue. <laughs> he made a blue. He's on like a 90 degree angle in the car. Hmm. Oh, so a- I've just twigged. Oh, made a boo-boo I've made, here. I've made a blue. Oh, they said the desert would be hard to drive through and I didn't realise that I'd have to be driving on two wheels the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Popping a monitor. <laughs> so they were in the town. They haven't even left yet. La- an, I feel like there's an omen in that. Oh, it's so bad. They later found they'd done considerable damage to the underside of the car, thousands of dollars worth, in fact, by driving off this ramp. It's great. <laughs> oh, dear. They And they are leaving a pub. They're leaving a pub. You said that was for accommodation, but yeah, they have and, a, a liquid and breakfast and on the way One of them was described- Arthur's been described as half blind. I think they're implying because of the light in his eyes, but I don't okay. know. I don't know. Yeah. Half cut. They pushed on. Soon getting a tyre puncture, which they changed, but that meant they were fully out of spares almost straight away. <laughs> Incredibly, when they pulled into a remote cattle station in what seemed like the middle of nowhere to assess the damage, there was only one person there. He was a local Indigenous stockman who was able to help them repair their tyre, which they were very grateful for. But Arthur joked, thanks for that, that we're unlikely to find any spare Mercedes tyres anywhere in the outback. So, I'll try and take it easy from now. And the stockman said, hang on, I've got a Mercedes tyre in the shed out the back. And he went out the back no and he came kidding. back. And it was a, a <laughs> huge coincidence that he had the exact right tyre for the car. Now, that's a good omen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, they they stacked in town yeah. and then waited to get to a remote sheep station before checking uh, the damage. Uh, yeah, it was only when the tyre blew out. They are like, oh, we should change that. And then they're looking going, hang on. <laughs> This car is severely damaged. (laughs) This is this car that we rolled. (laughs) Ridiculous. Somehow they made it all the way to Uluru in this Mercedes, which is a a long, long way away. Now, camel races were already a thing in the outback, but never this proposed distance, and everyone told Arthur it was an impossible task. Where have they driven from? Bullia in Queensland. To Uluru. To Uluru. That is quite a a a distance. Thousands of K. Because for, for non-Australians, Australia is pretty big. Mm. Pretty bloody big. And in the middle part, middle part, not much happening. Not much. A lot of the unmade roads that they're driving over yeah. and things like that. Yep. Similar for Americans, similar in size to the USA, right? Nah, nah. I think nah, USA nah, nah. is a little bit bigger. But- we're, we're very big. <laughs> Keep going, Dan. <laughs> 
But I think that, we're I think we're actually the biggest country in the world. Oh, yeah, I mean, it depends on what you're measuring. Bigness oh, of personality, <laughs> spirit, spirit, uh, freedom. Yes, <laughs> yes, all of that. We got uh, the biggest freedom here. <laughs> Uh, bananas and prawns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got we the got the biggest, biggest things. So yeah, uh, in those ways. So for Americans, uh, hit backspace on that tweet, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> back it up. Back it up. In Go size, back to your tiny little country. <laughs> in sort of size, I think they're slightly bigger, but a similar-ish size. Yeah, if they didn't I, have Alaska, I think we'd have them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they got that when Australia was federated. They're like, oh my gosh, yeah. we need to make them a state. We yeah. need this. We need this. We need this. Uh, and, yeah, they've got nothingness in the middle, but not like we've got nothingness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like 80% of the Australian population lives around the coast. Yeah, we've got the biggest nothingness. Can we say that? <laughs> yes, I'd say we've got the biggest I'd say we're up there with the biggest nothingness, yeah. yeah. Well, Antarctica might pip us, but it's, yeah. a, it's a close race. Well, thankfully they're melting, so fuck you. <laughs> we'll get them. Like we'll the get horses. Them. We'll, we'll get play them the, real play soon. the wrong game. Long game. It is the wrong game. I just want to people to know it, yes. it was quite a long distance. It's and a Uluru long, long, is yeah, like in right. the middle of the country and there's not a lot around it. Have you seen it or no, been there? I want I haven't to. Either. No. I'd love to. It's on the it's on the list. I've been to the Northern Territory like three times in the last ten years mm-hmm. and it's because it, I like people make the mistake of thinking, Oh, if you go to Alice, which yeah. I've been to a few times, yeah, we been were been at there Alice too, a few years ago. Yeah. It's a long way away. Yeah. And yeah, I think people just assume it's close-ish. Yeah, but if it's you're in Alice Springs, you just pop over to Uluru for the day. Yeah, and it's like, oh nah. Well, it might take you the day to get there. Yeah, it's a, it's a long, long, long drive. Mm. So Arthur, he's spruiking his, his event. He's saying, "Get on board. Who wants to do this?" And everyone's saying it's impossible. But his enthusiasm won over most people because he was so into it, including some quote-unquote army fellows that he encountered stationed out in the desert. They apparently love the idea of a test of endurance and fitness, and some of the soldiers passed on the idea of using the race as an exercise to their superiors, who agreed to cater the race, chaperone the competitors with 20 to 30 vehicles, and even enter some of their own camels and riders into the race. Wow. So we got the army on board. So much to Arthur Earl's satisfaction, it was on. The race was to start at the base of Uluru, which is in the Northern Territory, like we've been saying, in the centre of Australia, and travel up to Alice Springs and then east across the Northern Territory in Queensland all the way to the Gold Coast on Australia's east coast. All up, the journey would be 3,236 kilometres or just over 2,000 miles, much of which was across remote desert. So it's a long way. There would be- How many? Put it in terms we can understand. Olympic swimming pools or MCGs, please. Yeah. uh, What are we talking, millions? Millions. That's all. Yeah, that's a long way. Of Olympic swimming pools? Yeah. Or MCGs? (laughs) Uh, Wow. And or? Whoa. That is a long way. Okay. It wouldn't be millions, would it? Because I'm thinking about it. Was there 20, 50-minute swimming pools? If you're doing, if you're just going by length, not by volume. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, by yeah, length, yeah, yeah, yeah. There'd be 20 per K. We're looking at 60,000 Olympic swimming pools end-to-end. <laughs> okay. Whoa. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of laps. Even Thorpey couldn't do that. No. Don't you dare say that about Thorpey. Thorpey could do that. Thorpey could do okay, that. they could. The Thorpey camel does, of the pool. The Thorpey does pool. that every morning. Yeah, it could be Thorpey and maybe Patria Thomas, but no one else. That's Thorpey on a rest day. <laughs> I reckon Clemmy could do it. Clemmy could do it. Only Clemmy. Kieran Perkins, he could do yeah, it. He could do it. And I don't want to be controversial. I think actually Peter Vagden Hoodenbagden oh, could do it as well. <laughs> Peter Vagden Hoodenbagden could do it for sure. <laughs> He's the best. <laughs> what a name. What a name. What a what man. A Oof, gosh. The so- Dutch Flyer. It's something I've just maybe. Is that a thing he might have been called? Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it, it was, might have been. He was Dutch. 
So you look up Peter Wagner and and I'll tell you about this race. There would be six legs or six stages in total, each competitor being timed for how long they took to complete each stage. So much like a car rally, the clock stops when you finish the stage. Right. Then they add up the six stage times and the person with the overall shortest time wins. So it might not necessarily even be the person who sort of gets over gets the finish first. line So it's not first. like you yeah. and me race Alice Springs first one gets there. It's like on the way we stop. Yeah. And then... I could have a really good sort of first three legs, great time. Yes, and, and then, then you can decide to tactically take it easy. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's also like a swimsuit round. Yeah, of course. A talent? Talent round, mm-hmm. yep. What's your talent? Spelling bee. What's my camel's talent? You mean? <laughs> Sorry, yes. <laughs> what the jockey's talent. The jockey's talent is riding camels. What's your camel's talent? Can I ask what your camel's swimsuit is as well? Uh, it's a one piece. <laughs> Beautiful. It's covering the hump. It's or? a wetsuit. It's a camel kini. <laughs> it's really hard to get a camel into a wetsuit. <laughs> That's the talent. The talent, yeah. I got this camel into a wetsuit. People just, <laughs> yes. yes. Well done. And now Whoa. that it's in it, that's its swimsuit round. <laughs> Dutch Flyer is an integrated passenger service between the United Kingdom and the Netherlands. Right. And not the- that's, mi- No, I think that, I assume that's what Hoogenband does now. Hoogenband. <laughs> oh. well, you jump on his back and he butterflies you across, exactly. the, across the channel. All right. So, six stages overall. It's a pretty good prize too. 40 grand for the winner. 20 for second, 10 for third. And each stage winner got a cash prize too, which increased each stage up to 6,000 for the sixth and final leg. Oh, okay. That sounds like a game show. Yeah. They, they were big back then as well. This would have been peak sale of the century. That's right. Era. This race was hosted by Burjo. <laughs> Burjo's there going, uh, our carryover camel tonight. <laughs> you can either take the cash or you can come back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. What are we playing for tonight? It's a new camel. <laughs> Burjo's staying with the good people at that hotel. Sheridan. Fuck. The great people. Oh, sorry. The great people. The great people. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the great. They're not good. They're great. They're good okay. tagline. Yeah, it's a good tagline. <laughs> Add another $1,000 to the invoice <laughs> for that tagline. Yeah, that tagline. <laughs> so, in between each stage, there would be rest days. So, more or less, they could travel together as a group. Each competitor had a support crew travelling ahead with food and essentials, although the size and experience of each crew varied greatly. That actually sounds quite nice. Yeah. You know, there's still like a competitive edge. Obviously, you're trying to overall win, but you're all going together. You're taking time for you, Mm. getting some sleep, getting some Zs in, a bit of self-care, probably a few sheet masks and massages going. That's nice. That's nice. Beautiful. His nickname was the Flying Dutchman. (laughs) That's freaked me out. I can't. Um, I guess I knew that. Yeah, somewhere in the back of your brain, you knew that. Whoa! Wow. So they've got and they've got support crews. I like they got that support. As well. So I will ask you again at the end if you still think it sounds like a good idea. The support crews or the rest? So the days? whole race. The you're whole like, race. This sounds like a lovely, lovely joint. Well. I don't. Th- I, yeah, nice try. But Jess isn't going to flip flop. She's not a flip flop. I'm flip flop. I. You've committed. I was just saying I think it's a nice way to do the race. Do I think the race is a good idea? Absolutely not. <laughs> even if the even if the prize money was a million dollars, I'd be like, I'd rather just work my entire life. It's fine. I'm Dave, not doing it. I can't. I don't handle being too hot or too cold. We're sick of this gotcha journalism, Dave. <laughs> Jess is just trying to be here, listen to your story, yeah. sass you a little. Yeah. Call, Enough of the traps. Now call him a bitch. You bitch. <laughs> I'm just trying to do a bit of foreshadowing. Oh, I think something's going to go terribly awry. Well, let's find out. So, Alex Tinson was on hand. He was recruited to be the race's vet, looking after all of the camels. 
He'd previously worked with zoo animals at the Bacchus Marsh Lion Safari, and when contacted, assumed he'd be leading a large team to look after all the camels. But in the end, it was just him. He had to check and monitor each camel at every checkpoint, which was a big job, and he'd never worked with camels before. Okay. He'd done lions, and they went, well, if you can treat a lion, yeah. you can treat a camel. Same thing. They are very similar. <laughs> yeah. They both got that sort of mousy, yellowy fur. Yep. You know, big teeth. Big teeth. Uh I think they both got a big hump. Yep. Great in the desert. Yes. Yeah. Um, King of the they're jungles. Both they're both camels. <laughs> it was a camel named Lion. <laughs> See, yeah, that doesn't seem like a great uh, appointment. And this is a big event for the big bicentennial. Yeah, that's, there's big cash on the line here. It seems quite strange that- uh, How many camels is this one man looking after? Well, in the end, there were 69 competitors. Oh, my God, that is hot. Nice. That is so hot. That is so nice. They lined up in Uluru on April 23, 1988, just over 35 years ago. 62 men and seven women competing. But there was also the SAS, the support crews, and a lot of media traveling with the group. So, it was quite a big contingency going on. And were the media also riding camels? Out of respect. Yes. yes. Out of respect. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. That is That's nice. That's nice. So, stage one would take 437 kilometres and end up in Alice Springs. So, yeah, if you're the day trip to Uluru from Alice is 900 uh, round trip. Yeah. So, it is, it's a long way. The plan was it would take eight days and then they'd have two days rest in Alice before starting the second stage. People from... All different walks of life took on this big challenge. The youngest starter was 14-year-old Ben Walker from Sydney, who did his schooling via correspondence during the race. On the hump, learning on the hump. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be great to, you know, rest your, your exercise books on the hump. Yeah. Use a, like a little movable desk. <laughs> That's nice. A little stable table. Yeah. <laughs> stable <laughs> table. The back of a camel. I miss stable tables. <laughs> yes. That's stable table ad. Do I, I talk about this all the time? No, maybe not. No, I don't I think just, so. It's like this memory that I've not been able to track down on YouTube or anywhere, but it was like an ad for stable tables, which is basically just like a hard bit of plastic with a cushion underneath yeah. it. And uh, it was like a, a an old saloon and a, like a someone walks in and a cowboy's there or something and he's like, put, put him up or something. And then the guy's got a whiskey on his stable table and he's going, whoa, whoa. But the, the whiskey doesn't fall off. Oh, that's something right. like that. Stuff. Something like that. That's how we used them in our family too, for whiskey. Yeah, yeah. We had a stable table. So yeah, loved it. Was it 90s was prime time for gadgets and gizmos? We had them, like we used them in the back of the car on road trips. Oh, yeah. To like you could colour in or uh, more typically we would race cool mints in the little ridge that went oh, around the, the stable ridge. table. <laughs> you couldn't fit two, so it wasn't really a race, but you'd just be like, whoa. That's oh. awesome. That sounds really fun. Really fun. Love. I would have probably rested a bucket on it on my long car trips as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great spot for my bucket. <laughs> You want that to be stable. (laughs) You're going, whoa. I don't want to lose this thing. So, youngest kid is 14 years old, Ben Walker. The oldest competitor was former Camelia Lloyd Kernock, who was 70 years old. Wow. Long journey for Lloyd. Well, yeah. The fact that he's a Camelia, though. Yeah. He's got the experience. I think that means he's my favourite so far. Indigenous elders from the Pitjantjara country also took part. 
There's loads of competitors, uh, but I'm mostly going to focus on five so you don't get too confused. And also, they're the ones that have the most information about their journeys. Appreciate that. It is hard to keep more than about five competitors in your mind. We'll still struggle. We'll still struggle. But I think they're they're all pretty different, so hopefully you'll remember them. So, the first of all is a man you'll remember because he doesn't even have a camel. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Drew, and his name is Drew Kettle. (laughs) And is Drew Kettle- Trying to blag his way through, like, no, I've got a camel. You just don't see it because- It's sleeping. I, it's sleeping now. Leave uh, my camel alone. Stop. <laughs> stop. What? My, my camel's very camel. shy. It's over there. Okay. It's over there. The bush. Just my camel goes to school at a different state, okay? <laughs> but he's real. He's real. Okay. Definitely real. And we're in love. <laughs> my camel on the school holiday. <laughs> That rosebud. <laughs> you wouldn't know him. <laughs> you wouldn't know him. <laughs> so good. Uh, Drew Kettle, he's, he's also quite old. A 68-year-old dairy farmer and swagman from Colac who wanted to take part but didn't have a camel, so he decided he'd walk the 3,200 kilometres with his dog, Laddie. He had some serious walking experience, having once walked from Darwin to Adelaide to raise money for the Royal Flying the Doctors fuck? Service. fuck? Yeah. The fuck? You walk from Darwin to Adelaide to raise money for the Royal Flying Doctors. I drove that last year and we did it over like three weeks. Wow. But still, that's a huge walk. That's huge. I'm I'm looking at Proper desert. 50 degrees in the shade. Yeah. Yeah, And he's walking. And then at night, sleeping in a swag. Yeah. And it gets cold at night, too. Yeah, it's a 31-hour drive, a 25-day walk. If you don't it's stop at all. over 3,000 kilometres. Wow. Wild. Which is what this is again. So, he's yeah. like, I could do that. I like and now he's 68 years old. With his dog, with too. With his dog. Oh, my God. I spent a I spent a bit of time at our friend's dairy farm outside of Colac. I wonder if they know this guy. Drew Kettle. I'm going to see I'm gonna see Mick the farmer this weekend. Yep, I'll, I'll ask. ask him. You know Drew who's Kettle? Kettle? I, I, Drew, lo- I love is Drew Kettle. I'm like, I reckon Drew Kettle surely is a like a local legend. Totally. Surely. I reckon. A name like that and have, walking these huge journeys. He's my favourite in the whole race. I love him. Drew Kettle. So good. This is a description of him. This is again from Arthur Earle, the founder's biography. It has a little passage about Drew. It says, This champion man was determined to literally walk the entire distance as he was sponsored per kilometre and didn't want to cheat no matter how tired he became. At one stage, he collapsed at midnight in the middle of nowhere and had to be taken onto the camp, but he marked the spot. Next morning, he insisted on being taken back to that spot so he could cover the entire distance of the race on his two faithful, weary old pins. (laughs) On that previous rest night, Arthur had helped him go around pubs with his hat and he raised an extra $1,000. What a legend. He's so great. So, there's a doco on this on this whole race made in 1988 by Orana Films that you can rent on Vimeo. I'll link it in the show notes. And Drew shows off the famous hat that he, you know, he passed around yeah. to raise money. And he goes, this is an old swaggy trick. And he fills up his hat with water and lets Laddie drink out of the dog, drink out of the hat. And then he puts the, the rest on his head and it drips down his body. And he goes, and now I get a good cold shower. <laughs> <laughs> it was so nice. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for the trick, and now I get showered in dog spittle. Yeah, yeah, I would. I would put some water in it. Put the hat on. Sure, that's okay. If that's how you want to do it, that's fine. No, dog first, and then what? and then just put some more water in it for the dog. Yeah. That's what I'd do personally. He tips it all over himself. He also says in the doco, every swaggy has got to have a top medical kit, and mine is a little bottle of rum. It's particularly good for snake bites. 
but you have to have it before you get bit. So every morning I have a bit of a slurp and I'm right for the day. Bit of fun there, Drew. <laughs> Drew's not putting on sunscreen, is he? No, no. You know? At the end of the day, he is always just, he's drinking tinnies at the end of the day. Little stubbies. He's, he's, he's loving. loving it. Loves a drop. Loves a beer at the end of the day. He's not drinking any water. <laughs> well, no, only, he's letting it yeah, dribble down his yeah, face. The only water goes to the dog and then goes on. This is crazy. What kind of dog, too? It's like a- It's got to be like a cattle dog. It's like dog. a blue healer cattle yeah, dog yeah, type yeah, thing, yeah. yeah. And that, that dog will walk 3,000 But, but, but quite small and <laughs> spindly, to be honest. But the dog yeah, might. better. I don't, think, I don't think Drew's packed food for it. <laughs> That dog's having to hunt as well. I'm imagining Drew's pretty spindly as well. Yeah. But imagine walking through the desert hungover every day. Well, he probably doesn't get hungover because nah. he's drinking rum in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hair, Hair of the dog, dog every day. <laughs> Good on you, Drew. And spittle of the dog spittle for of, his morning he's shower. All, all his tricks are dog related. Yeah, maybe there's something to learn here. So that's Drew Kettle, first guy we're going to talk about, as well as catering and helping out the race with 100 soldiers across 30 trucks. The army had three teams and 13 camels. One of their riders was SAS Corporal Peter Cape. So SAS, you know, the you know they're the extremely well-trained yep. guys. Well, if, if you've seen Pennyworth, uh, the origin of Batman's butler, he was ex-SAS. That's that's how Alfred got his start in butlering. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you got to be highly trained to put up with Batman's bullshit. <laughs> Thanks for putting that in Gotham-based context. Appreciate that. I can all understand. <laughs> you know, butlers, what they used to do. So, Peter Cape. He's an SAS corporal, originally from Perth. He does have a camel, and his camel's name was Zodian Mind Warp. <laughs> the one of Frank Zappa's kids, <laughs> yeah, Moonian Zodian Mind Warp, which uh, apparently delighted in biting and kicking him, and wouldn't let him ride it. So for much of the race, Peter Cape had to run what was equivalent of two marathons a day, just pulling the beast along. What? Yeah. Because the camera was like, I'm not going to let you ride me. I'd, I'd fucking, why would you? I would check first. <laughs> <laughs> On the start line, all right? How hard could it be? He's like, like day four, he's going, I reckon today's the day. Okay, Jump on. No, no, okay. okay. Well, walk you Tomorrow again. it is. <laughs> Let's go for a drug then. <laughs> yeah, oh, fair enough. My mistake. <laughs> I just, like, I love these stories so much. I love people who do stuff like this. And I'm just not that person. Oh, I, I, it's so wild to me too. Like you couldn't, I'm just, you couldn't pay me enough. I wouldn't last five minutes. And I don't like that about myself. I, this, I'm, this isn't a high and mighty thing. I wish I was more like this because these people have great stories. Yes. I don't have any stories because I, I like don't leave my house. I maybe would do it for a weekend, like two days of it. Yeah. And, and be like, that would feel like a lifetime thing. Yeah. Doing it, what, for weeks? Months. Is, months is- it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Two marathons a day for a month. No. I mean, I couldn't do that at all. <laughs> yeah. I'll, do, I'll do it for a weekend. I just realised what I said. I, I could do it for the morning. <laughs> yeah. I'd be dead. I'd die. I'll do it to lunch. Then I'll, I'm going to need you to helicopter my corpse <laughs> out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to cost the Royal Flying Doctors much more than you're raising. Yeah. I'm going to need them on standby. <laughs> so that's Peter Cape walking Zodian Mind Warp. 
So we've got Kettle and Cape so far. Kettle and Cape. We also have Gordon O'Connell. Oh, yeah. From Emerald in Queensland, Gordon was riding his camel, Carla. Okay. Carla! Carla. They're both ends of the camel naming spectrum, aren't they? (laughs) Mind Warp and Carla. 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 Gordon grew up in a Salvation Army home in New Zealand and was in what he described as the bad boy's home because he kept running away. At age 13, he was told he could stay there or go to the stables and become a jockey. And he did. So he became a jockey. According to the Courier Mail, he was a jockey in his teenage years until it became too difficult for him to keep the weight off his taller frame. With a wife and one child, he moved to Australia in his early 20s and had a few more children and spent decades travelling around the country working as a carpet fitter wherever he could find work. And when the race was on, he was living in Emerald in Queensland. When his neighbour, John Richardson, asked Gordon if he'd train two camels for the race and enter one, Gordon jumped at the chance. John's got the camels. He's like, if you train both these camels for me and for you, you're a jockey. That's right. You can ride one. I'll ride one. The the camel he got was Carla, and he went all in on training both camels. The plan was he would split the support crew with the neighbour John, and then they'd split any prize money either of them won. Oh, yeah, nice. They're like a little team. team. Yeah, that's nice. But- Oh, no. The two neighbours had a massive falling out before the race. No. And they ended up entering and competing separately- by this time, Gordon had spent months unpaid training the camel and thinking the race would take further months to complete, he decided that for the sake of his family, he'd have to win the prize money. Basically, otherwise, he's just spent months not working for nothing. Right. So wow. He, so, he, yeah, he wasn't doing it. He wasn't getting paid to do it. He was just doing it on the hope of of yeah, winning yeah. cash. Of either him or his neighbour John winning and then they'd make some money that way. That's how he thought he'd make money. Did he get- First dibs on which camel to pick because he would know which one would be the. Was good. Yeah, the, well, I think so because he had a big affinity with Carla. Right. And remember, remember, you only get paid if you play, so he's in it to win it. In the end, Gordon had only one member in his support crew driving around after him in an old blue van was Lenny Mackay. So he had a lot less support than the army guys who've got dozens of trucks. He's got one guy in a van. Also lining up to start was 35-year-old Jill Cowell who was a doctor from the Gold Coast. She'd previously been a jockey and thought she could handle a camel based on this experience. She was also a very fit marathon runner. In fact, she'd previously held the Australian record for the marathon. So, very fit lady. Okay, super fit, can do marathons, has been a jockey and is a doctor. And is a trained medical doctor. Probably the favourite at this point and also isn't like seven years old. No, that's right. She's in the prime of her life. I don't know. Oh, 30s, prime time. You kids wouldn't understand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> These are your best years. <laughs> Can't wait to hit my prime in a couple of years. <laughs> when, you're, when you get to the hundreds and hundreds of years of age mm-hmm. like me, you'll look back at your 30s and say, jeez, I wish I, I, wish I knew mm. then what I know now. <laughs> Which is? Uh, something about Apia insurance. <laughs> it's another ad. It's you're another ju- ad jingle. You're just made of ads. <laughs> I'm made of- That's all you are. That's most, all you are. Most people are <laughs> mostly made of water. Yeah, you're 70% <laughs> I'm, ads. I'm 70% ads. <laughs> like you said, Matt, Jill Cowell was also a doctor, so had medical knowledge as well that just might come in handy on this journey. Okay, he's doing a bit more foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. She saw the challenge advertised and jumped at it, thinking it sounded like a thrilling adventure. Again, not something I would ever think, no. but good on you, Jill. She borrowed a camel called Tiki, who had a real mind of his own, and proved... <laughs> that riding a horse and riding a camel were two very different skills. During training, Tiki rolled over and broke Jill's arm. Okay. But what an adventure. Kept going. 
And this is when she needed the medical yeah. experience. <laughs> no, not yet. See, I didn't. Um, I opted to drive instead of riding my bike to work today because it was a bit wet out. Mm. You know. Well, that's the beauty of the desert. Well, you think you <laughs> would think that. Oh, <laughs> more foreshadowing. <laughs> By the time the race started, Tiki was at least sometimes listening to her. So okay, progress. Finally, let's meet our final rider, Paddy McHugh and his camel, Digger. He'd been asked by race organiser Arthur Earl to supply some of the camels. He was an experienced camelier, having retraced the 1,500-kilometre journey of Birkenwills in 1977 when he was just 19 years old. And he travelled with his support crew, which is, was his wife, Virginia, and their newborn baby. Oh, my God. Yes, <laughs> which is what? <laughs> I, yeah, I think I, I take it back about um, the doctor because the jockey experience doesn't count for much if it's horse jockeying i think by the sounds of it yes yeah so the cameliers still have the advantage surely and they've also seemingly they've they've got a camel that they already have a relationship with yeah, getting yeah. paired up at the last minute with a camel that mm. you find out you don't get along with is <laughs> a nightmare scenario will not let you light ride it or is there an outside chance that drew kettle who doesn't have to worry about a camel at all could oh that's true could bradbury it some of the other camels that competed were, were called uh, Peter Pan. What do you think of these names? Aeryonga Cow, Twiggy, Banjo, Casper, mm-hmm. and an apparently notoriously difficult and infamous camel called Fugly. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like Fugly. I was going to say Banjo is my favourite of those, but I think Fugly might fugly. be right there yeah. as well. Sadly, I don't have any more information on Fugly, but I have to say it's automatically my favourite. <laughs> a lot of them have like classic dog name kind of vibes, but oh, I'd love a dog called Fugly. Fugly's <laughs> Yelling that in the park would be so fugly. fun. Fugly. 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 Leave it. <laughs> fugly, come. <laughs> Good Fugly. <laughs> <laughs> so to recap, we've got Drew Kettle is working with, walking with his dog Laddie. We've got Peter Cape, the army man who's running with Zodi and Mind Warp. Gordon O'Connell, who's with Carla, who he's trained for ages and has had a big falling out with John the neighbour. Mm. We've got Dr. Jill, who's the marathon runner with Tiki. And we've got Paddy McHugh and his camel digger. He's a camelier and he's travelling with his wife and baby. Terrible idea. So they took off from Uluru on April 23, 1988, when Dr. Jill Cowell and her camel tiki arrived at the start line. The blokey SAS soldiers were lining up, exercising outside, and asked, what are you doing here? And when she told them, I'm in the race, they incredulously told her, well, it's, it's a pretty tough race. And she said, yep, I'm pretty tough. <laughs> and on the first day, a lot of the racers had to run alongside their camels rather than ride them, like we were saying. She jogged up to the SAS guys and their camels and she asked, can I jog with you? And they're like, yeah, okay, but we're going to jog for quite a while here, just so you know. (laughs) Yeah. She's wearing her, like- Medals. Her Boston Marathon hat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, after only 10 kilometres, the army guys were getting fatigued and were obviously puffed out. But Jill, the marathon runner and champion, took it all in her stride. She wasn't even puffing. She was like, yeah. This is nothing, guys. There must have been some real satisfaction there. Yeah, that would have been sweet. Is that why they call them fatigues? The clothes? I've never understood that. Don't they call What are army Military fatigues? Military fatigues. Yeah. Is that the clothes? Yeah, it is. What you, yeah, what, what, what your uniform, what you're wearing. I just don't know. Is it? Yeah, I don't know. No idea. But it's probably not because these guys got tired on a run. <laughs> In 1988. <laughs> 
I don't think so. I might be drawing so, a longish bow there. But it's not impossible. Exactly. I'm just looking for connections. Mm. Yeah, you never know. We refuse to connect with you. <laughs> Please. Please. I'm trying to connect with words no. because my friends won't. Well, colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny every time. Yeah. You guys are my only friends. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. Please don't ever leave me. I love you so much. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> Speaking of the army, SAS Corporal Peter Cape had yet to sit on his camel Zodian mind warp <laughs> when the race started. That's hey. clever. You don't because you only get a certain amount of sitting hours on a camel. Right. Don't want to waste them. Yeah. How do they get the camels there? In like uh, in like uh, horse floats or yeah, probably back of the back of trucks. I think maybe. I'm picturing them dangling from helicopters. <laughs> You know, with that, that sort of harness yeah, under their yeah, belly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're just going. <laughs> As they delicately pop them down. Yeah. And there you go. And it's one. And uh, yeah, we'll be the next one. <laughs> one at a time. 68 to go. <laughs> it took months. Yeah, just to get on there. So the had first th- one dropped off died before the before the start. <laughs> no, it had of three old kids age. by that time. <laughs> yeah, they multiply quickly. It had things. grandkids and it died of old age. <laughs> the ki- so Peter's camel... Zodian Mind Warp was severely undertrained. It was extremely hard to handle, bucking him off at every opportunity. So anytime he tried to sit down, he was straight off. He had to run alongside the camel, like I said, something he would do for most of the race. But from the get-go, it was clear that Gordon O'Connell and his camel Carla were a cut above the rest. They just had an affinity and the intense 10 months of training with her paid off straight away and he just took off from the rest of the field. Yes, this makes a lot of sense that the one who trained <laughs> yeah. and knew his camel <laughs> had a bit of an advantage. Had a bit of an advantage mm. there. Gordon was so far in front, he actually finished the leg 18 hours earlier than everyone had predicted. <laughs> 18 hours. 18 hours. <laughs> Supposed to take about a week, and he took nearly almost a day off that. Entire. That's amazing. He would have been even further in front, but when he got to Alice Springs, he got lost as there was no signage yet. When he finally made it to the finish line for the stage, he accused the army guys of having moved the sign. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. Which they denied, but they had a few terse words, which you can see on the documentary. Gordon was in front, but throughout the event, the SAS were hot on his heels in second, fourth, and sixth for most of the race. So there was a bit of a rivalry building between him and them. He knew he had the best camel to start off with, but worried that their camels would improve over time as they you know, actually started to respect the rider. So he really pushed himself early to get in front, like you're saying, Jess, wow. early, get a buffer going so you yeah. can cruise the last couple of stages. Yeah, just for just for that comfort and security, which is what we all want, isn't mm. it? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we all want in our camel race. Right, guys? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Guys, I'm, I'm not talking about camel racing. <laughs> She's so lonely. I'm so lonely. Put it in. Terms we understand. Camel racing terms. <laughs> we all just want to trust our camel, you yeah. know? <laughs> so Gordon's in front, but he did have some less than quiet satisfaction when his neighbour turned rival John, remember John? Mm. Who also was entered separately now. Well, his race fell apart after only a few days because he pushed his camel too hard. Fuck you, John! I don't know why I'm, I'm not on John's side. I think, yeah, I'm the same. I guess it's because we don't know his perspective at all. Yeah. We know, we know what this, Sorry, John. this I think other guy's be, gone through. Nah, it's fine to be on Gordon's side. Right, Gordon. Fuck you, John. On your Gordon. John's camel was not as well trained or conditioned as Carla, and John had to retire early. And when Gordon, his rival, heard the news, he, of course, felt sorry for his neighbour, John. Not. <laughs> and I quote with an interview with the ABC he gave, Somebody come up and told me that John Richardson had pulled out. 
Now, I swear to you, honestly, for an hour, I sang, ha, 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 John, you asshole, <laughs> at the top of my lungs. He sang it. I was so thrilled. <laughs> so, they hate each other. Wow. Wow, what a big falling out. I wonder what happened. Oh, I, no, no details were ever given. Toxic masculinity. I reckon it was something you, you small. So? I reckon it was something that <laughs> so- could have been just resolved with communicating openly. Yeah. And- or if it's like some sort of slight criticism, like, yeah. oh, I reckon you're feeding the camels too much. Oh, I'm feeding the camels too much, yeah. am I? I reckon yeah. he killed his mum. <laughs> yeah, toxic masculinity. <laughs> and he and he couldn't get past it. Oh, my God. Come on. John. Who, wait, who killed whose mum? One of them killed the other. Wow. Let's John keep, killed Gordon's mum. No, okay. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> These people are still alive. Okay. Let's Allegedly. Keep, let's keep it vague. He killed his mum. <laughs> but I think um, I, I was thinking that you were going to say that John would have been like, you gave me the dud camel. You screwed me. Oh, right. No, I'm not sure. He No, he loved Carla. Big fan of Carla. No, he loved Carla. Gordon loved Carla, but John, I thought, might have oh, been Oh, John like, might be like, you screwed me. You yeah. screwed me. You gave me the dud camel. What if I told you that this won't be the last we'll hear of old mate John Richardson? Wow. What? Stay tuned. Finally, Drew Kettle on foot with Laddie the Dog crossed the stage one finish line 16th overall. Remember, he's just walking. 16 out of 69. Not bad at all. Wow. In fact, only 51 of 69 competitors were able to finish the first leg, so they lost a few on the way. Do they ever find them? Or? No, they're out there. Now there's a million feral people <laughs> in the middle of the winter. <laughs> doubling every 10 years. <laughs> you're the only one of us with camel riding, I'm assuming. All right, Jess, have you ridden a camel? No. Dave, you're the only one with camel riding experience. That's right. Last what? year in the Moroccan desert, in the Sahara, I did a, a brief hour and a half maybe max camel ride so i know what i'm talking about how how do you picture it being i actually it was terrifying at first so even though i was led by a professional camelier in a train of camels so there was i think five of us and they're all tied to the back of the next camel and i had the last camel because it was the youngest and the naughtiest one and for some reason the expert camelier guy looked at me i was there with my wife and her family and said Oh, you should hang on to the, I guess because I was the youngest man there. They're like, you should hang on to the naughtiest one. And mm. I cannot emphasize enough how unprepared I was for that. <laughs> and what you do is they sit down, you, you swing one leg over, and then the camel, they all stand up at the same time. And you have to just hang on as they stand up. And it is wild. It's like, it's like being bucked as you get up. <laughs> These are well-trained camels with mm. an expert camelier leading them. The ones I've seen in the documentary, they are like a bucking bull. Hold, they're holding on for dear life and people are being thrown off. That, that's, that's why a lot of people aren't finishing because they're being thrown off and people are breaking legs and arms and stuff because the camels are just freaking out with a person on top of them. Yeah. Oh, they're, not, they're not used to being ridden at all. Yeah, one of them, oh one of them he's like, um, he got a wild camel only a few weeks before the race. Because his theory was, I want it to have a bit of spirit still. I don't want, I don't want to have like no trained camel. I only want it, I want it to be pretty wild still. Why? I don't, that was It'll his, be his, able to handle yeah. the outback. And that's that camel it, was like unrivaled. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to trap a brumby. <laughs> I'm going to separate it from its friends and I'm going to jump on it and I'm going <laughs> to ride it and it's going to love it. I'm going to ride a bear. I'm going <laughs> to trap a bear, yeah. ship it over, and I'm going to ride the bear and across if, the desert. Yeah. If we sound like we're being a bit bloody silly, I reckon, yeah, well, you're being a bit fucking stupid. Come on. A bit of spirit. <laughs> It's going to kill you. Yeah. Honestly, these 
it's it's a miracle that no one in the in the, the lead up to it was bucked off and like really injured themselves. And this guy like, who's already you know who's finished eighteen hours early is with a camel that he's trained and spent a lot of time. He's with. trained it every day for ten months. Huh. Hmm, interesting. Hmm. I think that camel lacks spirit, though. Yeah, that's the <laughs> yeah. problem. Lacks, lacks pizzazz. Yeah, it's just it's just a blur camel. Yeah. <laughs> if I could describe that camel in one word, I'd say beige. It's <laughs> <laughs> a real beige camel. <laughs> so they got to Alice. The team's got a bit of a rest after that, and their reward was camping next to the sewerage works. Oh, nothing but five star accommodation for these guys. Where was the Sheridan? Is there no Sheridan in the Alice Springs? Were well, you sure that wasn't the Sheridan sewerage works? Yeah. Touche. Might have been only the poop of the rich. Mm. <laughs> the only rich people's poop comes through these parts. Yeah, they couldn't have been put up somewhere or... or- no, they were all c- camping out in the open, although they were in town for the annual Camel Cup races, which turns the city into somewhat of a festival feel. Right, so all the accommodations are already booked. Yeah, that's Fuck what's happened. Hell. Absolutely. And also all the proper camels that are already booked. <laughs> yeah. The well-trained camels. <laughs> a few of the great camel races entered the Camel Cup sprints, but they actually entered on borrowed camels because they didn't want to risk injuring their beasts. So they had to continue on for weeks, if not months ahead. Sure. Diane Zischke, who was racing on Air Younger Cal, won the cup. Wow. So, okay. pretty good racer. And Paddy McHugh, one of our people we're talking about traveling with his family, he came fifth. So, he was a camelier, though. Yes. So but the like, form stacks up. Yeah, experience. That would have been that would have been a bit of a, you know, a feather in the cap for the organizers. Saying, hey, we're not, this is a fair dinkum race we're doing out here. Mm. We've got sprinters, but we've also got stayers. You can do it all. I love the, the phrase fair dinkum because it can mean so many things. Did I just say fair dinkum? Yeah, yeah. Don't even notice. That's how often you use it. I think it. my favourite Fair Dinkum thing is an Alistair Trombley Birchall, one of his old jokes. Mm. He's like, because he grew up in Canada, but he moved over to Australia, and people like ask him, "Mate, are you being Fair Dinkum?" And he's like, "I'm being fairly Dinkum." Because <laughs> <laughs> it can mean like legitimate, yeah. but it can also you, you can use it in a context of like, "Oh, really?" You know, oh, someone saying, "Sorry, Fair Dinkum." You know, you don't or say. it can sort of be like a, and it's yeah, like legit, but it can also be like no bullshit. And fair dinkum, he was yeah. racing by. It's so good, fair dinkum. Anyway, it was worth derailing. Let's bring it back. Do go on, Dave. Well, we've got one stage down, five to go, and from here, there's a few obstacles in their path between Uh-oh. there and the Gold Coast. I'm going to hear some more. hurdles, literally some hurdles. Absolutely. Wow. They, there's the, the 110 meter hurdle section across the desert, and we're going to hear more about that after these messages. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to get something off my chest. Okay. I ate your last biscuit. That has been for my wedding. That has been (laughs) stressing. That has been stressing me out. I'm so sorry. I feel a lot better to get that off my chest. You know, keeping things bottled up can affect people negatively, and that had been affecting me. And that feel that's a weight off my shoulder. Yeah. It was delicious. I'm not sorry, but I did take the last biscuit that he was saving for his wedding. I didn't know that. (laughs) 
that is upsetting to hear, but I think I'm going to have to get some uh, positive coping skills, learn to set some boundaries. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you could give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's very convenient. It's flexible. You can fit it around your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. You too can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash D-G-O today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash D-G-O. The next leg was a long and treacherous one. It was nearly 900 kilometres over the Simpson Desert and into Bullia in Queensland. It was expected to take about two weeks. It was during this leg that shit got real for Dr. Jill Cowell. She'd sent her support crew 100 kilometres ahead and was on her own in the desert. All of her food, water, supplies and a rifle were on the back of her camel, Tiki, who was a little bit cheeky. Cheeky Tiki. 100 Ks is confident as well. It's a long way, isn't it? You just go up 100 Ks. I'll but, meet you there. Yeah, of 900. I guess it's not crazy, but it's they're pretty far ahead. It's a long way. And what's the point of them going? I mean, they don't have to drive alongside you, do they? No, often they'll go ahead, maybe set up camp, yeah. get some food ready, get some supplies happening. Yeah. How, or how many Ks are they knocking off a day? You, some of them could do 100 K in a day, but that's that's a big day. It's quite right. a big day. So that's what she's sort of hoping she'll see them by the yeah, end of well, the day. Yeah, well, she thought that she would spend a night in the desert on her own. That right. was the plan. Right. But she had no working radio with her. She'd spend the night in the desert, ride the next day, and then see the crew the next night. She's like, one night, that'd totally be fine. But stopping for a rest, she tied Tiki to a small desert bush. Oh, no. He sat down, and she said sometimes he would sit down and then would want to rest for about an hour. So she's like, oh, he'll be fine. I'm T- worried about the size of this bush. It's a small desert bush. She's like, he'll be fine. He's tired. He won't do anything. But he got up as soon as she let go of him and he bolted. <gasps> Dragged the bush with him. <laughs> yeah, got a bush hanging from- <laughs> Like a trailer up. <laughs> the bush ends up winning the money. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm afraid fair's fair. This bush rode the camel all the way here. <laughs> it's the richest bush in Australia. <laughs> He got up, he bolted away, and he headed for the sand dunes on the horizon. He ran up one large sand dune and down the other side, completely out of sight. Oh, no. Jill was there, left with no supplies, no camel. No one knows where she is or expects her for a day or two, so no one's going to come oh, looking yeah, for her. Oh, yeah, all the supplies and everything are on Tiki. On the camel, all the water. I'm taking that as a as a bit of a hint from Tiki that doesn't really want to be in this race. <laughs> Just wants to go surf in those dunes. At, at the very first opportunity, bolted. bolted. Or he's saying, I could win this without you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going for it. I'm going, going for it. <laughs> You're weighing me down, Jill. Mm. So she starts to, you know, she tries to stay calm, but also panic a bit, thinking, I'm going to die of dehydration mm. here. No one will find me. So she ran after Tiki, waving at him, and every time he would stop and turn around. He doesn't know what waving is. No, come I back. To, come I have back. to remind myself that every time I smile at my dog, like I will make eye contact and I kind of smile politely at him like you would <laughs> when you cross people in the street. And then I'm like, he doesn't know what a smile it is. It wasn't just a smile. You just gave also a nod like, how are you? I do that. How's your day? Or like sometimes he'll sort of look at me and I'll smile reassuringly like everything's fine, bud. But he doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't understand what a smile is. And I'm like, every time I'm like, Jess, you stupid bitch. Bitch. <laughs> Stop smiling at the dog. <laughs> So he would run up the sand dune, keep running, at about 800 metres away at this point, and this is tragic, he would get to the top of a sand dune and look around and Jill thinks he was looking for his family. Oh, get fucked. What? Which is very, very sad. But eventually he got to the top of a hill on the horizon, 800 metres away, almost out of sight. She's thinking, oh, my God, every my life is on the back of that camel. He ran back to the doctor. <gasps> 
and quietly sat down next to her oh with God. all of the supplies intact. Like, okay, I'm back. I just wanted to check that out. I just, I just wanted to check my family there. They're not. Yeah, well, she says that from that moment on, the camel that had previously broken her arm began to behave and really respond to her. She thinks he realised his family aren't out here. I'm all he's got. I think she's doing a lot of projecting onto a camel. That is quite a lot of projecting. That's a lot of projecting And I think she's spot on. Yeah. <laughs> I think she really knows that camel. Yes, she's projecting right on the money. Ah, <laughs> uh, he realised that I'm his family now. No, he's a camel. Anyway, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, the good news is she's not going to die. Thank God. Here. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out what I want to do that. Foreshadowing. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the race leader Gordon was sneaking around in the dark on Carla so the army guys wouldn't know his movements or how far in front uh-huh. he was. He went through one of the checkpoints without checking in. Oh, no. And this prompted a search party to go out and look for him. So, they went looking for him. They had no idea he was so far in front that they found him waiting for them at the next checkpoint. Whoa. They're like, where have you been? He's like, well, where the hell have you been? Because they found him. Him not going to a checkpoint, does that mean he's got to go back? Yeah. So, he went through the checkpoint, but he didn't check in. Like, he usually signed a logbook or get someone to stamp you or something like that. There were complaints about cheating because he wasn't checked off. And it became a real source of contention and a meeting had to be called. But race organisers, led by Alex the Vet, who had to step in to a new role as director because the <laughs> race director was seriously ill. Oh, my, oh God. my God. He had to be, like, I think, evacuated out of the desert. So, Alex is like, I'm a vet. And now everyone's <laughs> complaining to him about the- He's like, I don't know. I've got to look after all of yeah, these I've got fucking 69 camels. camels. I don't give a shit. He'd be loving them when they're dropping out, though. Yeah, yeah, 59 God. camels, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. They did a little investigation and they, they saw footprints. And they like went, and I imagine it. You couldn't have got to this next checkpoint yeah, without exactly. going. Are we here? It's not like he's caught the bus. Yeah. So they were satisfied that Gordon had been through the checkpoint, and they allowed him to continue. But the army guys were pissed. Come on, army Come guys, on. fair and square. Seems like they're just being petty. I mean, let's talk it out, boys. Come on. Come on. Hey. 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 Come I, on. I know you're getting beaten by a civilian right now. Yeah, civvy. And that would hurt. That would hurt. But because you're better than civvies, you're better. Well, yeah, you train. Right, we've got a lot of army listeners, and uh, they know that they're better than us. Yeah, I mean, they know they're better than us. Oh, that's <laughs> my god, there's no, goes without question. there's no, they've never even questioned that. <laughs> no, no one has. They're laughing right now. <laughs> Did you think that was a even, an option on the table? I think most listeners no. are better than us. Oh, yeah. As they travelled on through the red hot sand of the Simpson Desert, the flies got worse and worse. They were in competitors' eyes and mouths, getting into their food. Apparently, they were just everywhere. And when Drew Kettle's walking along, he's got like a net over his head, and then the camera pans down, and his dog is also inside, like this little net over his mouth, so the flies <laughs> don't get into Laddie's mouth. <laughs> and he's just sort of walking along like it's nothing. I can't even put a jacket on Humphrey without him freaking out. <laughs> This, guy's, this dog's got a net on his Yeah, you cannot put anything on Goose's head. It Ugh. sounds like the net hasn't worked. Dogs yeah. are getting through it. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> and if the heat and flies weren't bad enough, when they hit the Channel Country in Western Queensland, things got worse in an unexpected way. It started to rain. Some estimate it hadn't rained in this part of the world for four years at that point, and it started to rain, and when it did, it poured just continued on it quickly turned the dry dirt roads and tracks into thick and slippery sludge the camel's pace was slowed to one <laughs> yes there's footage of camels like slipping and sliding and then falling into like big pits of mud it's, it's awful for them their pace was slowed to one mile an hour as they trudged on through the mud slipping sliding over 
Some in, at like Bathurst or one of the big races, you'd, you'd switch to your wet tyres. Yeah. 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 The camels they just have put a, their wet legs. Yeah, wet they leg. have wet legs. They do have these little like uh, little hoof protectors, these little booties that they were making. Chains, put- like driving <laughs> in the snow. Yeah. <laughs> Chain them up. <laughs> that's sick. Yeah, that's great. Sick. But not for the, not for the mud. What are they thinking about? I actually I would have put uh, heelys on my camel. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The rolled. Not yeah. not great in the sludge. <laughs> Roll right over that sludge. <laughs> I'd tell me, yeah, it'd be good if they had a backup like donkey or something. I feel like a mule might be able to do better in the to mud. Pull them out. Yeah, I'd put. I'd let my camel sort of sit down in a trailer. I'd still sit on the camel, so we are still technically riding. Technically, you have ridden yeah. this whole and then way. We just get towed. Well, some oh, competitors. Cool. They didn't think of this, but they gave up on the stage and took trucks the final 100 kilometres to the next stop of Bullia. But Dr. Jill and 14 others, including Gordon O'Connell and Paddy McHugh, continued on in the torrential rain without a support crew, determined to complete every step of the journey, no matter what the weather threw at them. Amazing. So, did, did the ones who skipped it, they basically disqualify themselves? Yeah, but they're not, they can't qualify for a place anymore. Yeah. They, can complete the, they can complete the race. But if you don't do the whole thing yep. at this point. Shit. But the second leg was eventually officially abandoned as they headed into Bullia because somehow things got even worse. I should point out this the, before we get into the, this <laughs> this horrible bit of the race. This also was where camaraderie kicked in and they began to really help each other out. And I've heard more than one competitor say that they started to forget the race and just travel together as one happy family, helping each other out. It's been weeks and weeks and they're like, this is really the point where I realised they're people. (laughs) The camels? Yeah, the camels are people and I am a camel. A man's not a camel. They're losing their minds. But a camel is a people. (laughs) So, yeah, but the second leg was abandoned because something happened and that is sleeping close together in the back of a truck, some of the competitors started to get sick. Violently sick. Oh no! And there was no privacy. Everyone throwing up and going to the toilet, just out in the open in front of each other. Oh god! There was no That's water. Talk about sludge. Come oh. <laughs> <laughs> on, you're the one who said no, that. No good. Apologies. There was no water for showers or any hygiene happening. It was a a fucking nightmare. Well, hang on. What about the dog water hat? The dog water hat. Well, yeah, you get a nice little shower, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting. A trick for you. <laughs> Disgusting. I wonder where the sickness came An from. An old swaggy trick. What a terrible thing to do. So stupid. What do you mean I'm sick? I had three shots of rum for breakfast. I can't believe it. He's the only one who doesn't get yeah. sick, I bet. Well, whatever they had, it began to spread. 80% of all competitors and backup crew members were taken out. What was soon found out to be a rare bacterial infection called Shigella, which is a type of dysentery. Oh, yeah. Dysentery comes up on this show a bit. Yeah. It's nasty. I've never imagine. heard of it outside of this podcast. Really? It has affected humans for, a, for many centuries, a long time. It's awful stuff. It had probably come from the flies, and then when someone had got it, they'd passed it on, and they were sleeping next to each other in, like, the back of a trailer, like yeah. I say. Also, they're vomiting out into the open. It's horrific stuff. And then I heard one say, you'd get out, you'd vomit, you'd do your business, and you'd crawl back into the trailer and just lie next to someone. So, of course, everyone got it. Mm. Very contagious. One of the SAS guys reportedly lost 12 kilos in four days from the illness. No. It was nasty stuff. That's horrendous. I think I might have got something like this after five days at Oktoberfest. Wow, yeah. Last (laughs) night. You got Shigella. I shared a tent and Jimmy, who was in the tent with me, just said that 
the whole night. He just said, zip, zip, <laughs> zip, zip. <laughs> I was in and out like- so like forty times. Wow! And just stay it- out of the tent yeah, at that yeah. point. <laughs> sleep, in the- sleep in the portal. <laughs> oh, so bad. Paddy McHugh, his wife and baby daughter Annabelle got shigella and were hospitalised. No. Baby Annabelle also got chickenpox and salmonella poisoning on this trip. So what a oh wild God. ride for Why that baby! Fucking baby! When they're eating what raw chicken yeah. on the road, raw camel. Raw camel. Mm. They're eating the camel. Yeah, well, if you didn't finish the race. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Have a little nibble. That's what you get. <laughs> Dr. Jill later summed it up. She said, never have so many people gone to such lengths to have such a terrible time. <laughs> yeah. Because remember, this is completely optional. Yeah. You could just optional. call it. You could be at home. <laughs> it's not no one's forcing you to do it. <laughs> this You've is chosen. optional. <laughs> what? <laughs> They got conscripted <laughs> into the camel race. Because, yeah, there have been worse things that human, humanity has, has, has done, but often it's being people are being subjected to stuff. It's like you have chosen yeah. to be Boy, here. I remember, I think there was dysentery on the Shackleton Endurance. Yeah. And, like, oh. they, they chose to be on it, but they once they were there, yeah, they couldn't just opt out. Exactly. You can't say, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Is Something, that how you get out of the jungle? Yeah, I say it all the time. <laughs> no one's ever come to my rescue. That's when I've know I've made it. When I've become a celebrity, people respond. Every time he gets himself locked in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Wasn't your old boss just on or is about to be on the celebrity show? Peter Hallio. Peter Hallio was on uh, I'm a Celebrity Get Man here. How'd he go? Did great. I think he came sixth, maybe? Liz Ellis, the netballer one. Ooh. Oh, that makes Don't sense. Know. Like an athlete. Athlete. Legendary very, athlete. Very likable. Very nice. Yep. You don't have to be likable to survive a jungle, Dave. No, but you got to get people to vote for you. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I got to be yeah. pretty likable. <laughs> so Jill herself got sick, as did race leader Gordon. But on day five of the illness, he thought he'd recovered. So he went to have a soft drink. After one mouthful, he collapsed in pain. And from that point on, he couldn't keep any fluid down for 10 whole days, but he refused to stop the race. But he's going to die. No, he can't keep fluid down for 10 days. 10 days, yes. And thankfully for him, this probably saved his life, the race was actually paused and everyone was put into quarantine with local emergency officials worried that the race would spread Shigella to every town that they visited. Oh. Yeah. So they said, you all have to stay here until you get better. Who? Which guy had the sip of lemonade? Gordon, who's in charge with, uh, who's in front with Carla right. the camel, and he thought he was better, and he thought, "Oh, I can finally have something that's not, you know, just a sip of water. I'll have a bit of have a bit of soft drink, bit of sugar." And then it was just bad news. Body rejected it, and then he couldn't keep anything down. Eventually, it was all too much, and Gordon ended up in hospital, suffering from renal failure. Jesus, meaning Ooh. he was suffering a full kidney shutdown. Yeah, he needed a drip like like day two. Yeah, he was legit at risk of dying. Fuck. But after a couple of days in the hospital, he told the doctor that if he wasn't discharged on time for the resumption of the race, he'd be walking out of there anyway. And when the race He's like, just give me a family pack of Hydrolite and I'll be on my way. Because if he doesn't finish the race, he would have worked for free. So it makes sense that he's going to (laughs) die. It is so wild. It is. The determination some people have. Far I, out. I don't have it. Sunk cost fallacy as well. Yeah. I've come this far. I need to keep going. I don't care if it kills me. Well, you should care about I that. Care. I care. I care about that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be, I'd be happily going to hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody sort me out, knock me out, have a little snooze, wake me up when I'm better, thank you. Oh, yeah, lock, knock me out, tie me to a camel. <laughs> if you do it in a coma, does it count? Does it count? Do I have to be conscious for every step of the way? <laughs> 
pa- my pain level between zero and ten? Well, it's eleven. So okay. just give us what you got <laughs> and, and put me jelly. on the camel. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Strawberry, please. <laughs> I love jelly. Me too. When I was in hospital last year, you got you got to order your meal like on a on a screen, like on a tablet. Oh, you could fun. just order whatever you wanted. And like you could get extra jelly if you wanted? Yeah. Hey, do you go to celebrity hospital? Well, yeah, I went to a celebrity hospital, obviously. <laughs> I'm a celebrity. Hell. Get me into, get me into there. <laughs> get me into there. Get me more jelly. That's what you're yelling. Get Don't my you know appendix out of here or whatever. You know. <laughs> it was sick. I was having a great time. We didn't have to talk to anybody. Love that. Is, boop, 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 boop. is that One how specific what you were to the doctor? Get my appendix out of here or whatever. Or whatever, or whatever, it or whatever is. you diagnose Whatever me we're with. doing yeah, here. Were you just choosing your operation on an iPad? Yeah. Appendix, like, don't want that. Elective appendicitis. Yeah, I was like, do I have an appendix? I think so. May as well get rid of it. Yeah. Don't want that nasty appendicitis at any point. If I could lose a little bit of uh, extra... Organ, I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, let's get rid Cut of it. Out. It's a freeloader, this one. Yeah. <laughs> well, when the race started again, Gordon was there to battle on with the rest of them. So he got out of hospital just in time. Wow. The race continued and amazingly, Dr. Jill Cowell, who'd now recovered, decided to make a move on stage four. She'd sort of been hanging back a little bit. Possibly even more incredible is that Gordon, a few days post-renal failure, won the stage again. Fuck off! Patty McHugh came second and Jill Cowell came third. And from this point on, she was taken much more seriously. So apparently her camel tiki liked to be travelling in the back of a pack. So no matter what she did, because camels, they know their place. Yeah. No matter what she did, she could never get in front of a lot of them. But finally, Tiki took off. And before this, a lot of the other races were sort of joshing her, giving her a bit of stick, being like, oh, what's it like up the back there, eh? Eh? And now she's come third. Suddenly, she's a real competitor. Right. She's it's, she's it, in with a chance of placing. It does. It's like wow, Gordon almost died, and and then he's just won the stage. But really, he's just sitting on a camel. Did the camel have renal failure? No, that camel is bulletproof. Yeah. Well, I'm not impressed. Full respect to the camel. <laughs> he couldn't keep fluids down for ten days. I'm amazed he's alive. That's at all. amazing. And and travelling through a desert. It's like it's like twelve hours of gastro. You're like, well, I'm dead. You feel you know? like you're going to die, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you're so dehydrated, but you can't keep anything down. He, ten days, he couldn't keep anything down. And he down. was on a camel this whole time. I can't believe it. That's ridiculous. Getting down, crawling to the bushes, getting back on the camel. How could you get back on the camel? Like, <laughs> you're doing 40 times that zip. Imagine each time you've got to jump back <laughs> on a camel each time. Wow. I think, like just said, just stay out of the tent. I'd just stay on the camel. Oh, right. You're just going to shit all over a camel. Well, hang on. A gentleman never shits. A gentleman never shits. You're going to piss all over a camel. Oh, I'm not. You're going to vomit all over a camel. I'm not too proud to (laughs) excrete on it. (laughs) Mark your territory. On a camel. On a camel. (laughs) (laughs) So they were getting out of the desert, but now they had a new danger to contend with, and that is trucks. They were travelling along the highway at night with massive road trains driving by just a few feet away. And at night, they couldn't see the camels until it was too late. So, they put reflectors on the back of the camels' asses mm-hmm. and they thought it was a miracle that no one was hit. Just get some bike lights, little flashing bike lights, you know? Yeah. One of those ones that is powered by the friction of the tyre. That's what yeah. I have. I used to do my paper around. It would press up against the tyre of the wheel. So, when it spun... It powered the it torch. It powered the torch, but it, it created friction, so it made it harder to ride the bike. <laughs> I thought this was only a thing from The Simpsons. <laughs> no, that's not- Bart rides one out yeah. in the morning when he's doing sort of uh, maybe the astronomy with, yeah. with 
Principal Skinner. That, he's I like, had the exact same thing. I got- <laughs> that joke hit hard for me. <laughs> yeah, like, yes! Finally, some representation <laughs> of the paper boys. There are a few moments in the doc I've got to say where I felt quite sorry for the camels, I have to say. None more so when they found out that one of the camels was pregnant and it started giving birth. They just didn't know it was pregnant. And it gives birth. All good. I've never seen a baby camel before. They are absolutely adorable. Looks like a mi- miniature, but very... Very furry camel. They initially so just cute. thought it was one of those two humped camels. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> Normally the second hump is up top. <laughs> but I was thinking, surely the race is over for this camel. You know, it's just given birth. And they say, when they, when they said, baby camels have to feed every three hours. And I thought, surely it's race is over for the camels. So, and then they say, so that gives the mother a real reason to run after the support truck to oh, feed her baby. Oh, my God. So, they just kept it going. That's so it could feed its baby every three hours. Be like, oh, I have to run after my baby. Oh, yeah. my God. I was like, surely it's over for the camel. Nope. They kept going no matter they what. They just used the baby camel as sort of a carrot. Get your stick. Come on. Come on. Follow the baby. It's a little bunny rabbit, like of the greyhound yeah. racing. Yeah, racing after it. Whoa, Jeez, that's, that's no good. That's not nice. But by the end of the, the race, that baby camel's become a, a toddler camel. It's quite cute. And that did it have cute. a like, and because there was the baby as well, so maybe that the baby from the other racer could ride the, <laughs> the baby camel. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Does that count? Because the baby camel was there it for was the whole the journey, whole, exactly. So I think if the baby rides the <laughs> baby camel, oh shit, they're quite cute. They're quite could. fluffy. Yeah, they're so small and fluffy. Holy shit, I've never seen one of them either. Everyone look up a baby camel. They're great. Oh, that's cute. That's a cute little baby camel. Holy, it it's looks so like a lamb. Cute. Yeah, baby anything is pretty cute. Yeah. Such Apart from humans. Human babies. Yeah, I was say, some of them. Hideous. Baby panda, actually, they're a bit, because they don't have any fur. They're just sort of red and they look. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. A bit baby freaky. kangaroos are pretty freaky looking. Mm. But they both quickly become very cute. So. Unlike humans. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, it takes ages. <laughs> yeah, they get weirder looking and weirder looking. That's, <laughs> there's not a good period for the humans. Nah. <laughs> Hideous creatures. Shouldn't exist. Yeah. So, they were across the Great Dividing Range and the desert had become rainforest as they entered the sixth and final stage, which was the shortest and had the largest prize money for a stage win. So, some people really went for it. Even if they think, I can't win overall, I could still win the stage. Jim Bowen won the last stage, which was $6,000 in prize money, so not bad. And 16-year-old Jesse Zischke pushed really hard. He left his mum behind and came second. She's the one who'd won the Camel Cup in Alice Springs. So, ah. pretty cool camel riding family. Yeah, cool. So, and I forgot about the stage prize money. So, old mate Gordon is He's cleaning cash. up for that too, yeah. yeah. I think it started at about 1500 bucks for stage one and it just increased until the final stage was 6000 mm. So, he's, he's already got some money guaranteed. Yeah. But he still wants to win the thing overall. The Cameliers were received with great fanfare on the Gold Coast with a marching band and a parade. They were explicitly told that they weren't allowed to ride the camels through the city and to the beach. But the competitors got together and they're like, Fuck that. We've come a long way. And they did it anyway, riding onto the beach and into the ocean, completing the 3,236-kilometre journey. Wow. They got together and they said, fuck Fuck that. that. I'm definitely putting my own Warnicky's words in their mouths there. But that was the sentiment. Those camels deserve a swim. Yeah. Yeah, they took their photos of them on the beach in the water. That's fun. They had been racing at that point for 84 days, 12 weeks. Oh. All up, 41 of the 69 starters and their faithful camels finished the race. Wow. But only 28 were eligible for a place having completed every part of every leg. That's a that's higher than I was expecting. Honestly, me too. Yeah. yeah. Almost half the field has done it all. 
In the end, there was no catching Gordon O'Connell, who won four of the six stages despite being hospitalised with kidney failure along the way. He won the Great Australian Camel Race in a total race time of 480 hours, which was approximately 34 hours ahead of his nearest competitor, Peter Cape from the SAS. Wow. Keeping in mind, Peter Cape was on Zodian Mind Warp and run most of the way. Oh, yeah, right. He was running beside it. Yeah, yeah. Which is incredible. <laughs> Absolutely wild. They're two, they're basically in two entirely different races. Yeah. yeah, 34 hours ahead. So, this means it took Gordon O'Connell some 20 days in total racing time, covering an average of 168 kilometres every 24 hours. This includes meals, sleeping, and feeding the animals. Incredible. Wow. Absolutely amazing. And that's faster than anyone predicted. He really blew everyone away. Mm. He won $40,000 for first prize. Second place, Peter Cape got 20 grand, although he donated his place earnings to the Royal Flying Doctor's Service, which is quite nice. And third place, Steve French, who I haven't mentioned before, he got $10,000. And he'd had a shocking time too, allegedly getting into a punch-on with one of the soldiers, who he alleged punched him in the face. The soldier was arrested at the time, and you see Steve French in the doco with a bruised and bloody face, and he has a black eye for the rest of the run. But I couldn't find any more info on what, if anything, happened after that. So, mm. I don't know if the charges stuck or if it was all dropped. I don't know. But he soldiered on anyway and came third, which is pretty amazing. And so, he was a non-SAS? No. he had, But he'd supplied some of the camels to the SAS. Right. And there was friction between him and them because they told him they alleged that he hadn't trained them properly. Right. Basically, which is evidenced by the fact that Peter Cape couldn't even get on his camel. And he's like, what training have you done? <laughs> I, I let me get on him just because yeah. he doesn't like you, man. Don't take that out on me. Yeah, and then they were, I think they were also annoyed because he he was obviously on a camel that was pretty good because he came third. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, he's so given that them these been... camels and then maybe saved the best one for himself. That's what I was thinking maybe that uh, John would have thought of Gordon. Gordon's got the best camel yeah. and his one. John's camel doesn't even last three days. Yeah. But uh, the SAS, are they on the clock? Is this is this an official- I believe so because it was seen as like a training exercise right. and also the fact that they were chaperoning them yes. across the desert, making sure no one died. So, it makes sense that he, wa- he wasn't able to- he donated the prize money. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Um, but still, obviously, it's very generous. Doctor Jill Cal came sixth overall. Well done, Jill. Which is an amazing effort. And Paddy McHugh, travelling with his family, came ninth. So they're, they're the everyone else talking about baby and the baby camel go. I think that might have even. I've, I can't be one hundred percent sure that might have been Paddy McHugh. Right. Who's who's. I think Camel gave birth. I'm not 100% sure. Real, also, with the baby. With ba- it could be baby and baby. It wow, could be. that makes sense. Jess- Jesse Zischke, the 16-year-old, rounded out the top 10. Not a bad effort for a, for a young man. And That's he got brutal. an A on his assignment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <So. laughs> How brutal that the prize money just drops off to nothing at uh, fourth. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. What about my favourite guy? 68-year-old Drew Kettle and his faithful dog Laddie. Well, they didn't place because they were on foot and not on camels, but they did finish and he was awarded winner of the human race. Yes. I assume Laddie was the winner of the dog race. I'm (laughs) not sure. (laughs) But the guy who came second, he ran (laughs) most of the way. Yeah, he was just leading a camel again. So, when you said he wasn't eligible for a placing, would he have- did he finish ahead of- Well, I'm not sure overall. He did actually beat 38 camels on the final stage. Wow. Which is incredible, just on foot. And he was sort of doing the Cliff Young shuffle. <laughs> shuffling along. The Cliff wow. Young Shuffle. We've got to do an effort on Cliffy one day. So I he was just I think I've put it up for a vote before. 
Oh, I think I might have as well. Yeah. I'm fascinated. I, I don't know the story he... at all apart from like he, he'd walk in Blundstones or something. Something like that, yeah. And then shuffled his way to a race win. But we'll find out more in a future episode, hopefully. Mm. So he's just walking and running. Drew had also single-handedly raised thousands of dollars for the Royal Flying Doctors. So incredible effort what overall. A legend. By an old swaggy. That's so good. wild stuff. You could- I would- No, thank you. No, thanks. You know- Absolutely not. Not my idea of fun or challenging myself. I don't like to challenge myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's wrong with the uh, pretty uh, kids these days. Don't know how to challenge themselves. I just want the top job given to me. Yes. I don't want to work for it. Come on. Why would you? you? If you don't have to, why would you? Thank you. So am I the boss now? Sure. Yeah. You run the SAS. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) You're going to run it into the ground. (laughs) In the end, the race cost Mr. Think Big Mode, Arthur Earl, $300,000 of his own money. So, it cost him a lot. And the race raised $86,000 for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. He could have. <laughs> so, that $100,000 he was willing to put into the race, he could have just donated that. Yeah. And he ended up spending three hundred grand plus Sheridan sponsored it as well. Yeah. Where was his cash going? On the vet, I guess. And or- just organising the whole thing, yeah. yeah. P- promotion, he printed up these uh, sets of, uh, what would you call them, pamphlets, which mm-hmm. apparently cost, ba- in, back in the 80s, they cost tens of thousands of dollars to do. These nice colour pamphlets advertising the race, and I read it cost tens of thousands to make. Whoa. And um, did it get did it catch on in the public consciousness? Yes, it really did. So that was one thing he'd probably be happy with. He won an award for most publicity for any bicentennial event because it was covered by a lot no, so strange, so specific. Most publicity. Thank wow. you. Yes. Thank you so much. This, it was all worth it. This is what I do it for. <laughs> yeah. He walked the red carpet. That was basically the gold logie of its day. But it was covered by a lot of media at the time, so he was probably pretty satisfied with the outcome. I guess because, unlike most events, it went for 12 weeks. So, yeah. And they could, they checked in with the race, and there's the dramatic bit where they've all been put in quarantine. Mm. Some of them are dying. <laughs> they've, they've finally finished Wait, the race. some of them died? Well, no. Gordon got the renal failure. Oh, which dying. He's seriously at risk of dying. They never- and Amazingly- <laughs> They always forget the, the end. Yeah. No one did die, and even though they could have been hit by trucks and all that sort of stuff. Running for a total of 84 days, the race is said to be the longest animal endurance race ever, a record that is unlikely to ever be broken. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, even at the time, there were some animal welfare protests about, about the camels. Yep. And I think- it would be even more today. So yeah, oh, definitely. Reason, I I, that is a reason I think that it may never be broken. And also, it's just a, a wild thing to do. Like, there's no way they're using the baby as bait for the camel. Oh, yeah, totally. These days. Yeah. And I know camels, the yeah, whole- me. One of the big sort of selling points on them is they can handle desert and they, you know, they don't need heaps of water, right? They just go for ages. But still, do you have to make them go? You know what I mean? Wild stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's the the humans are choosing. Fair yeah. enough. That's why the real winner here was old mate Drew Kettle. Drew Kettle walked it on his own accord. I made a note to ask Mick if he knows him. Oh, great! Also, I want to hear because yeah, he he seemed like a guy that with a big personality that everyone would know. It was a bittersweet end for the riders, having completed an incredible journey, but they also had to say goodbye to their camel racing family as they all went their separate ways to go back to the routines of normal life. Dr. Jill Cowell found it hard adjusting back to life indoors, having slept outside for many months. Apparently, it was a real psychological adjustment to go back to the big city. Yeah, you can't, like, 
yeah, you can't just go back to work the next day, you know? Like, it, it just the, the the exhaustion as well. Oh, it's wild stuff. Like, a comedy festival ends and I sleep for a few days, mm. you know? And I didn't do a full run. These, this is 12 weeks doing something so hard on your body and your mind. Yeah. They've pushed you themselves to the absolute limit. I think it's very similar to comedy festivals. Well. Yeah. <laughs> I did do a full run. Yeah. And I think of it of that hour a night. Yeah. I did. It is surprisingly tiring. Oh, it's exhausting. Much like, Very draining. I think, quite equal to- Yes. The camel race? A camel race. 12 route camel race. I think- if, if I could put it into terms that listeners could understand, mm-hmm. doing a full run at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival is like being in the Great Australian Camel Race. Yes. I agree. Thank you. I actually think it's it's true that Drew Kettle walked so you could do a full run. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At the comedy festival. What a guy. That's what Drew Kettle wanted. Yeah, that's yeah. what he would have wanted. On your kettle. Um, yeah, wild stuff. Yeah, it so must have been so hard. hard. So one of the photographers of the event, Donna Phillips, had a similar feeling adjusting to living indoors and feeling like like the roof was too low. Wow. Because you've been sleeping outside and it, it's like sort of claustrophobic in your own house. So she slept outside on her balcony to get some fresh air the first night just to sort of Isn't adjust. Amazing. Wean herself back on to yeah. indoors. Yeah. Was the, the doctor a GP? GP. So she's going back in and, and hearing people going, yeah, I got a bit of a scratchy throat. I've had it for a, a week. You know, oh, yeah. Oh, do you? Do you really? Oh, okay. So a bit tough, is it? I just shat myself on a camel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you a prescription for a little bit of concrete. Yeah. Harden the fuck Harden up. Harden the fuck up. Here's a spoonful of cement. Mm-hmm. And then her boss comes in and it's like, hey, Jill. Jill, quick work. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to check in with that patient you saw just then who had laryngitis. <laughs> I was wondering if, um, if maybe you think there's something else we could have done for him. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to write my boss a prescription for a bit of concrete <laughs> sliding across the table. Sadly for Jill, this is just tragic. She never saw her camel Tiki again as tragically a few days after the race, he was killed when he, es- he escaped on the Gold Coast and was hit by a truck. Oh, my God. I know. Very, it's awful. That's so sad. Did now you- I was looking for her as its family. Matthew, stop it. Oh. Well, she oh. did live and work on the Gold Coast, so oh. maybe. Who's coming to find her? Oh, my God. You can't live in your backyard, That's <laughs> actually so sad. That Dave, you sad. can leave some de- details out. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, he, this is I mean, this is maybe more positive. After the race, Paddy McHugh, who had supplied a lot of camels and travelled with his family, he went on to work with camels owned by royal families in the Middle East yeah. and founded the first professional camel race in Australia, the Bullier Camel Races, sometimes called the Melbourne Cup of Camel Racing. <laughs> it's Thanks now- for putting it in terms we can understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's now a big deal in outback Queensland, attracting 3,000 people. Wow. Which for bullies, that's quite a lot. Bullies come up. I've never heard of bully before, but that's where the rich man left initially. Initially from, yes, Arthur Earl. And, and that then, was because it, it was, was a, stop, a stop, stop on the way. Because it's just inside the Northern Territory Queensland border. Right. Then we've got vet Alex Tinson. Remember, he was the one vet and then yeah. became race director for a while. Yeah. Trying wow. to sort out disputes whilst looking after 69 camels. Remember, before the race, he'd never worked with camels before. Well, he ended up working for a royal family in Abu Dhabi with their camels. And three decades later, he's still over there working with the camels. Whoa. So, he went all, all in so on the camels. totally changed his life. Amazing. Shit, that's kind of cool. And it'd be handy because if, you know, if they have any lions, he'd, he'd be like, oh, I can look yeah. after them. Hey, I've got it covered. I can do both kinds of animals. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? That's a dog. <laughs> 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 Get it off. 
freak. <laughs> a tiny little freak. That freaky little camel. <laughs> yeah. You've been breeding your camels with your lions? That's illegal. <laughs> As for the winner, Gordon, well, in some ways, the battle for him had only just begun. Remember his neighbour, John, who initially he had the agreement with to train two of the camels, including Carla. Split the cash. Split the cash. They had a big falling out. Well, John came forward and claimed that he and Gordon had an agreement and that Gordon owed him half of the winnings. Had they written it down? What a dog. Gordon already worked out the time and investment he'd put into the race. He was losing money because he'd spent months on it. Hadn't worked for months. And when he returned home, he actually had to close his business. It shut down. And now his enemy was coming forward to try and take even more money away from him. Fuck. The two men entered into a multi-year legal dispute which cost another small fortune. Of course. For the loser or for both of them? Both in legal fees. Yeah. And to add extreme insult, whilst Gordon was in Darwin for work, so we had to travel around to find more work, John came back and took Carla the camel away from Gordon's property because he was like, I own this camel, she's mine. He took her and entered her into his local camel riding business that he ran in town. And he, he said, she belongs to me. And legally, that was true. Gordon had forged a strong affinity and friendship with Carla and he was extremely distressed by this, especially when he and his family would see John and Carla at local events in their small town. Oh, that's brutal. I can like it. I can understand that it was his camel. Yeah. But it's just such a shame the relationship broke know, down because yes. otherwise you'd think that he, John would be like, of course, you, uh, yeah. you and Carla should live together. Of course. So Gordon was desperate to get Carla back. But by this time, he'd run out of money to keep going to court, having already blown thousands. So, Gordon decided to take things into his own hands and launched a covert operation to get Carla. And this is going to be next week's episode? (laughs) (laughs) It is pretty incredible. By this time, it was 1993, five years since the race ended, and Gordon was on a camel kidnapping mission. (laughs) The complex plan involved putting... Putting glow-in-the-dark paint on Carla during one of the camel riding events in town. And then over several nights, Gordon and his son staked out John's property, hoping to spot Carla in the herd of camels. On the third night, a bit of moonlight hit the glow-in-the-dark paint on her hump, and Gordon recognised that hump. That belong. He recognised the hump. That, that's that lovely lady that, lump. I think it's the glow-in-the-dark paint that yeah. he recognised. <laughs> he claimed he recognised the figure. He's like... There's the paint. Yeah, because you put paint on her. She's <laughs> yeah. the only one glowing in the dark. I think we'd buy that a bit easier, Gordon, if you hadn't painted it. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, yeah, no, I recognise her. Anyway. I recognise that glow-in-the-dark paint It's not anyway. a bad idea to put the glow-in-the-dark paint on. That's yeah. great. But then don't be like, ah, oh, yes, I recognise that hump. Mm. No, you recognise it because it's glowing. Come on, Gordon. Gordon. Come on, Gordon. We want to we, we want to be on <laughs> we your want to side. Be on your side. <laughs> well, he, so he sees the camera. He yelled out to her, called out to her, and even after all this time, she came over and and him and his sons, they grabbed her. So, they rustled the camel away. John, as Gordon had hoped, then launched legal action against him. As he'd hoped. Yes. he For some reason, legally, he wanted to be sued rather than have to be the one suing. Right. And in the end, the court sided with Gordon and found that John was only owed the price he'd paid for Carla the Campbell in 1987, which was only $500. Gordon was awarded the full prize money for the race, and John even had to pay all of the legal costs. Yes. And had to pay Gordon for training expenses incurred for Gordon training his camel in 1987. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Oh. I, the, the idea that you have to you get taken to court and you win, 
and you still have to pay for your own legal fees, that sucks. I, li- I like it when they say, and you've got to pay expenses. Yes, plus damages, plus expenses, all that sort of stuff, which they do. The court didn't rule on who owned Carla, but according to the Courier-Mail, Gordon retained custody of Carla f- for the rest of her days and she lived with him in Sapphire. She died in 2015, 27 years after winning the Great Australian Camel Race, which is quite a good innings because according to PBS, the median life expectancy for camels is 17.8 years. Oh, wow. So she was old. She was very old. I guess she really was a special camel. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And her offspring and descendants still live with the O'Connell family to this day. That's nice. I mean, that's that's a satisfying ending. Considering we've like always sided with Gordon, but can you imagine if John's family side of the story? Yes, of yeah, course. I didn't, I didn't hear any of that. Yeah, of course. they got completely fucked in court. It was absolute bullshit. It's ruined them forever. Totally. Yeah. So unfair. So that's the end of my my report. But I wanted to shout out to a few of my sources on this one because there's not many online, but the ones that are there are really great. There is a Facebook page for the Great Australian Camel Race. I believe it's managed by Donna Phillips, who was a photographer of the race that I mentioned at the end there. It's got loads of photos, behind-the-scenes stuff and documents. Awesome. It's got photos of extracts of uh, the book on Arthur L that really made me laugh. That's where I found that. It's a great archive, and clearly a lot of love and enthusiasm has been put into it. But at the time of recording, it only has 128 likes. What? So let's get behind it. I'll link it to in the show notes. Well, I'm liking the great it Australian right now. Camera me race. too. It's, it's great. It's got so many great photos on there if you want to see more of it. it. Sounds awesome. I'll also link to the ABC Radio National Podcast, The History Listen, which just last month did a two-part episode on the race. And they've interviewed some of the competitors. If you want to hear their own words describing it, check that out. You also get to hear uh, Gordon yelling, ha ha, John, you asshole. That's so funny. Which is very funny. Presented by Kirsty Melville and Michelle Gately. It's really well done. I'll link to that. And finally, the 1988 documentary made by Orana Films is also worth a look, especially for Drew Kettle, the guy walking with his dog Laddie. Lots of great moments for him. They rule. Uh, like I said earlier, you can rent that one on video. So if you want to read or hear more, I'll link to all that stuff. Oh, this page is awesome. Yeah, it's great. The greatest Australian camera. photos. That's sick. So great. Well, that's the end of my report on the great Australian camel race. Well done, D-Dub. Well done, D-Dub. Dave, what a great report. I genuinely, first one you've done in a long time, and I thought, yeah. He's done it. He's done it. He finally gets it. <laughs> he gets it. Well, what about Nicholas Cage? Yeah, look, mate. That was we, a soft one for we me. We talked about Con Air for a long time. You that's had a bit fun. of fun, sure. Yeah, but, but this, this, this was one, something. This was something. Oh, no. That was nothing. Oh, hang on. You're taking my compliment as a negative. <laughs> yes, that so. is classic, Dave. Oh, no. I just said this was good. God, you're First hard to please, Dave. The bit that I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you, never, you never fail, apart from that Nicolas Cage one, yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that absolute dud. Um, but then- <laughs> That's not my fault. That's his fault. Yeah. For leading an extremely boring life. <laughs> I think what I love most about this episode is it gives us a great opportunity for Dave to post that camel photo again. <laughs> Where he's eating a pie on a camel. Oh, I've, never, yes. I've never posted it. Haven't, haven't you? you? I've never debuted it. Really? I you did. Oh, no, you, I've just keep forgetting. Have you just uh, shown it to us? Yeah, I've shown you a bunch of times because- Old school social time, media just I was showing post- us a photo. I was, he's done a slide night. <laughs> I yeah. posted like six photos in a week or something of me in Morocco with pies and I was like, I'll give it a bit of time. And ah. now, it's, you know, it's six, eight months has gone by and I've just never got around to it. Oh my it. God. What a perfect opportunity. Are, are you saving it for a big number of pie Well, I have to now. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> 
Just have to save it for 500. Mm, 1,000. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's I think fair. I'm on 180 or something. <laughs> it's going to be a while, guys. <laughs> Here's a throwback. So also, it's a good opportunity for me to post the old stupid old sketch about road trains. Like, there's just, this is going to be oh, a content bonanza. Oh, my this gosh. <laughs> we'll be posting six times a day if you want to follow us. We've recently just hit 10,000 followers on Instagram. Don't God, worry about like, that. Not even so, a big deal. We're so good at content. <laughs> Anyway, That's, what are we doing now? What we're doing is thanking a few of our fantastic supporters who uh, support us on patreon.com slash pod. And if you want to do that, you should just go to the website, patreon.com slash pod. sign up on any level. There's a bunch of different rewards, including three bonus episodes a month, which includes a, a bonus report every month, a, a Brendan Fraser-related podcast every month, and then a quiz or something else. We also uh, have the nicest corner of the internet, the Facebook group for Patreon supporters, which mm. you'll get access to. You get to vote on topics like Dave's report today was voted on by the Patreons. When it was close to, you really do change the show if you're on Patreon. Mm. Sometimes it's two, three. Jess has been votes. showing us her just neck and neck poll for the last few days. She's like, I want to get started on this yeah. report. but I, I need to start researching, level. but it is it is tight. It's amazing. Uh, and, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of other things, including the fact, quote, or question section. And if you sign up on the Sydney Schoenberg level, you get to give us a fact, quote, or question, or a brag, or a suggestion, or really whatever you like. Uh, and I'll read four of them out each week. I'll read them out uh, for the first time when I read them out. And that is basically me trying to excuse myself for bad pronunciation. <laughs> uh, first up this week, I'd love to uh, read out Mark Wenz. Uh, fact, quote, or question. Uh, they also get to give themselves a title, I should say. And Mark's title is Esquire of Rohan. Oh. Does this section have a jingle? It actually does have a jingle, I think. <laughs> or something like this. Fact, quote, or question. Huh. He always remembers the ding. And anyway, the Esquire of Rohan Love it. is asking a question saying, if you could have done any other profession, what would it have been? And I always uh, suggest... You don't have to, but I like it if you do. Yeah. Answer your own question. Mark has writing, I wouldn't mind being a carpenter or retire someday as a sommelier. Ooh. Now, if I said, what have I, I've said that wrong. There's no L in it, right? Sommelier? <laughs> no, there is, I think. Okay. Sommelier. Yeah. yeah, sommelier. Sometimes those French words have a solid L. Not in this case. I'm thinking of semillon. Ah. Maybe. Or sommelion, as I said when I worked in the bottle shop way too many times thinking back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Carpenter, I knew a Carpenter once uh, Who did a bit of wine work as well <laughs> You're right Yeah, forget his name But um, Dave, what about you? You're a man of many As talents. a child, and this is a big Brendan Fraser influence The mummy came out and I wanted to be an archaeologist mm-hmm. Oh yeah Really been into Egypt and that kind of stuff for a few years My dad's also very much into uh, Egyptian antiquities and has been fascinated with that kind of Imagine stuff. Was- Warnicky yeah. and Sons Archaeology oh, Co. Should have done it. Yes, yeah. there's still time. Not too late. I know Martin's retired. That just means <laughs> he's, he's got time. Yes. I wonder how long an archaeology degree takes. <laughs> We've lost him to Google now. Um, Dave self-taught. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're just digging. Yeah, Brendan Fraser didn't study. You're doing the, the old digging dust. Go have a dig. Yeah. What about you, Bopper? I wanted to either be a nurse or play basketball for Australia. Now. <laughs> Why not both? Why, well, that's true. In women's sport, that's very true. Um, oh, gosh. I am five foot seven, which is uh, slightly above average. You know, I'm on the taller side, but not basketball height um, and did not get the grades for nursing. So here we are. Just quickly looking up, Muggsy Bogues, 1.6 metres. So you're not far off. I'm 1.7. 
You're even taller than yeah, Muggsy you're not, Bogues. You're not far off your 10 centimetres taller. Who's Muggsy Bogues? Uh, NBA player. Great. Was in Space Jam. Oh. Charlotte Hornets. Muggsy Bogues. Played Muggsy at the top Bogues. level. Gotcha. So if you're taller than Yeah, but than I'm Muggsy- not a guard. I'd have, to, okay. I'd have to retrain as a point guard. <laughs> you know, I'm a forward. Yeah. Right. Okay, power forward. Um, no, just a forward. Okay. Um, on the left side, because I'm left-handed, it's an easy, you pass to my right hand, bring it in, zoop, up, you know, it's just an easy layup. I've just looked up a Bachelor of Archaeology here <laughs> at uh, La Trobe University, my alumni, which I've got a few connections there still. Uh, three years part-time, sort of three years full-time or part-time equivalent, so I could take six, six years, years maybe. It will cost me- What's that? Uh, $40,000. In hex though, mate. You pay that off. Don't worry about it. Can I put it on hex if I've already had mine? And You can have more hex, I'm pretty sure. Hell yeah. Can I'm going to do more- it. I'm sure you can have more hex. Anyway, Matt, what would you be? Um, well, I have a bit in common with you there, Bob, because I, I found, I'm, I've probably mentioned this before, but I found a, we wrote these cards in like grade three or something, primary school, where we um, said what we'd be doing mm. when we were, you know, in our adulthood. And I wrote that I would be a professional basketballer. Yep. And uh, a rock star by night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I love it. Love that. So I guess yeah, I was thinking that basketball would be mainly day games, but that's a pretty that's pretty good. I'd I'd still be pretty happy with that. And I think like I think what professional sport are getting a lot better at now is thinking beyond the sport. Yeah. You know, you retire, and you still have. You're still so young. Yes. You know, what's next? In the AFL, that you have to be either studying or working part-time. Yeah, which is great. Just setting yourself up for the next for phase. For what's next. Because some of them retire. Every AFL player. I think I think that's- Really? I didn't yeah, realise. You can retire at like 25 and yeah. then you got your whole life, you know? That's right. So, it's that's great, Matt, that you were thinking, well, obviously I'll play basketball and then when I retire, I'll be a rock star. Yeah. By night. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's great. I've got, I've got it somewhere. I've, I drew pictures that's of really it. That's really cute. I should see if I can track I've it down. very seriously, I looked into, because I was changing unis at the end of my first year of uni and I went and looked at like the paramedicine course at Vic Uni. I really wanted, I thought about being a paramedic. I'm surprisingly good in a crisis, but yeah. I don't know if I'm that good. Oh, I mean, the way you can park. I think True. you'd be the driver. You've got to park the ambulance for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but to be the driver, you do have to be one of the paramedics. Yeah, which I think would you'd do both. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, but like th- that'd make you an even better candidate. Yeah. You can, like do 150 kilometers an hour, like in a <laughs> in a school zone. <laughs> Piss off on an ambulance. For yeah. Example. And come to a complete stop in a reverse parallel <laughs> yeah. park in a tight spot. Exactly. And from not 155 k's an hour. Not back over the the victim. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> And that, that our the van we were driving in England that time was bigger than an ambulance. It was bigger than an ambulance. <laughs> so you would be fine. It's fucking huge. It was so I parked it at a spot that like a Yaris would struggle with. <laughs> and we went a night. It was a nine seater. <laughs> we get out of there. Well, I think you did that as well. <laughs> I think it was like an eighteen point two. You just went into a fugue state. And- <laughs> suddenly, we're, suddenly we're back at Heinz. Dropping it off. Uh, thanks so much for that question, Mark. The next one comes from Libby Mason, aka when it says Libby's, Libby's, Libby's on the label, 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 you will like it, like it, like it on your table, table, table. <laughs> <laughs> I heard this jingle my whole childhood as this is still a popular canned food brand in the States, ah. though I'd rather be associated with green beans than corned beef hash. I love the name Libby. Libby's a great name. Love it. Really? It's a nice one. I really like Libby. Was it? There was a- Australian swimmer Libby something. Trickett. Libby Trickett. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, what a great 
I forgot how good that yeah. it comes home. And she changed her name when she got married too, which is a mistake. Or is Trickett the married? No, no, no. Her she, her name was Libby Trickett. Nee Lenton. Yeah, that's right. She was Libby Lenton. Libby Lenton, also yeah, that's fantastic. Right. Libby Lenton was already good. Libby Trickett's actually yeah, very good so as well. Yeah, so that's why can, you understand why she took the totally took the four new time name. Olympic gold medalist. You cannot wow. take an inferior name though. No, if you already have a name like Libby Lenton, you got to marry up. You got to marry up. <laughs> and she was only hundred what well, is only hundred sixty seven centimeters tall. Just so I'm maybe taller than Libby you, Lenton. You could have been a swimmer, maybe. Wow. Maybe you're too tall. Look at these shoulders. I could have been a swimmer. Yeah. Except I get ear infections. <laughs> I wonder if she's ever met Peter Vangden Hudenbanken. <laughs> Oh, the Dutch flyer <laughs> or the flying Dutchman. Uh, Libby's got a fact writing. I sincerely hope Matt recited his most current fact about North Carolina before he gets to this part. Well, North Carolina, funnily enough, is my most current fact about that is perhaps that uh, Venus flytraps are from there. Mm. Amazing. But anyway, Libby says, my first ever contribution to the fact quote, question, brag or suggestion segment is all about North Carolina. Thanks so much for- Great. Getting involved, Libby. Uh, writing, firstly, I would like to debunk the blue fire truck pseudo fact that only applies Ooh. to Chapel Hill, A pseudo fact. Yeah, okay. Uh, the science is in. and um, We've a- enraged Libby enough <laughs> that she's given us money just to tell us that we're wrong. But says Love that it. Chapel Hill- is home of UNC Chapel Hill, where, where Michael Jordan played college basketball and wore the legendary blue shorts that would one day go on to change the fashion of professional basketball. Well, there you go. So, I mean, it's relevant to the North Carolina that I know and love. Yeah, Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. Jordan's. Jordan's NC, yes. JNC. Uh, now to the fact. In 1774, Penelope Barker organised the first recorded political demonstration by women in America to protest the 1773 Tea Act. Then in 1775, North Carolina became the first state to declare independence from Britain with the Mecklenburg. Don't worry, Matt, it's pronounced how it's spelled. Mecklenburg. Ah, nailed it. (laughs) The Mecklenburg Declaration of Freedom. I don't claim these to be fun facts, but at least a bit interesting. As the resident feminist on the pod, perhaps Matt will find Penelope Barker's protest interesting enough to replace the uh, Venus flytrap fact. Yeah, okay. So, the first- I've already forgotten it. First- It's still written in front of you. First protest. I've scrolled too far down. Oh, uh, yeah. First first uh, protest. Um, 1774. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm retaining that. Penelope Barker. Penelope Barker. Anyway, huge thank you for all the laughs, groans of disgust, and genuine entertainment y'all have provided for the last seven years. I love y'all so much, and I can't wait to come to a live Back show. To y'all. <laughs> Just to hear Matt say y'all a lot. Libby, 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 fantastic work, and uh, a fantastic debut from you. Uh, next one comes from Nathan Damon, aka Podcast Dad. Yes, you can have a cookie. Just don't tell mum. <laughs> thank you. And I'm telling mum. Oh, no. Nathan's fact is beer is good. That is all. Mm-hmm. Nathan, I'm with you there. I agree with that I'm not statement. sure. I'm not sure that I do agree. Okay. Oh. Agree to disagree. Just Unless don't we... tell mum. Okay. Well, I already told mum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a tattletale. Uh, I'm, I like beer. I like, I like having a beer. Huh. We know. What? <laughs> that was my closest held secret. <laughs> Uh, the second season of Beer Pioneer should be coming out soon. Mm. Apparently, this Australian winter it's coming out, uh, which talks of you know, it's, I'm I'm in a lot of the places we talked about today. In oh, the awesome! Territory. Uh, 
And the final one this week in the Fat Quota Question section comes from Ryan Butterfield, a.k.a. Senior Chief Submariner in charge of the smartest dumb people on the planet. <laughs> and Ryan, oh, he's, I think, is this the first time? He's going with not a fact, not a quote, not a question, not a brag, not a suggestion, but a bet. Oh, oh love it. Love that. Writing, oh, this is, I don't know, this is the first time we've said it outside of Patreon, but he said, just got the message that you're going to try for an American tour. My cousin, also a patron, told me that if you guys come to the United States, he would buy my ticket to come see your show live if I bought his plane ticket to one of the following places. Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, or Boston. What do we need to do to make this happen? <laughs> oh, okay. So you're, you weren't betting us. You've bet your cousin. Right. But, so, the cousin will pay for a ticket and he just has to organize a flight. But we, do we know where the cousin's flying from? No, but because it- our ticket, I, we haven't set a ticket price yet. But if we did, it will be very much likely cheaper than a plane flight. <laughs> yeah. So you are losing on the deal there. But I think it's a beautiful deal and a beautiful bet. That's like saying I'll, I'll go on a tropical holiday with you. All you have to do is pay for my flights, accommodation, give me five thousand dollars in spending money. I bet you won't. <laughs> I bet you are too Dave, much of a wuss to do it. I would love to take that bet. Okay, but I, like you have to. I'd bet that you wouldn't fly me to a tropical destination. And give me five grand. Spend. I think there'd be there'd be a decent chance we'd get to one of those places. I think maybe I have no idea. Dave's is crunching the numbers. I think New York City is the is more likely. So only a couple of hours from Philly. Can you just make and the Boston? extra little bit? Yeah. yeah, in the middle there. Thank you so much, Ryan Butterfield. And yeah, for people who don't know, we're we're back on that path. Hopefully, getting something together. Yeah, it's the visa path. We if we could come without. Any trouble, we'd be there tomorrow, but we are jumping through some hoops as we speak. Well, we've got some American lawyers working on it. <laughs> we literally have an immigration lawyer. Thank you so much for those facts, quotes, and questions. The next thing we like to do is thank a few of our other great supporters. Uh, Jess, you normally have a bit of a game here based on the topic at hand. I know it seems a bit obvious, but could we name their camel? Great. A yes. great one. Because some of them had really fun names. And remember I had that horse gener- name <gasps> generator? Is there yes. a random camel I'll name see. generator? Camel name <laughs> generator. Oh, my God. There is. No. Animalnames.org. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, it just sort of gives you a list. I want, I want, nah, I'm going to find the one that I had last time. Yeah. I we'll, mean, we'll just have to tweak them slightly to make it more camel-y. Yeah, that's right. Good. Jumping off point. Uh, if I can kick us off, first up, I'd love to thank from Elgin or Elgin in Moray in Great Britain. It's Jenna Morrison. Jenna Morrison. What, what about Nathan Cam- Camilleri? Because is that just the name of a that kid who played guitar in the nineties on Hey It's Saturday? Yeah, Camilleri. So Nathan Camilleri is the name of her camel. Oh yeah. What do you think? Camilleri. Camilleri. What is was that? What is that? Just his name? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, he was a child prodigy guitarist. Yeah, Nathan Camilleri. I think that's a great name for a camel. Great, and one that a name that would definitely make sense to someone. From Sorry, Elgin. his name's Nathan Cavalieri. Oh, is it? So it is a it is a pun. All right, if that's what a pun is, that's great. Thank you so much, Jenna. Jenna Morrison writing and- Nathan Camilleri. Camilleri. Uh, next, I'd love to thank from, oh, my God, from God's country, Cincinnati, Ohio, in the United States. It's Richard Wheeler. Chocolate Pongo. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> no, no tweaks notes. needed. That is that fantastic. Is chocolate, chocolate. That is Camel Ready. <laughs> pongo, pong, pongo, chocolate Pongo. That's just bucking you chocolate up. Chocolate Pongo. Do you get chocolate-coloured camels, Dave? Uh, if you have got the Pongos, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what I mean? If you've got the, if you've got Shigella, that yeah. will be a chocolate covered camel. Jeez. Okay, I see what you're saying. That's fucking gross. Shitty on a camel. Like- yeah, no, we got it. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't think you did. <laughs> I wish I didn't. Uh, finally, from me, I'd love to thank from Vancouver in Washington in the United States. It's Denise Goldworthy. Blue skin, adios. <laughs> Oh, so the delivery is great too, Jess. Thank great you. Stuff. Blue skin adios is amazing. Thank you. It's can hard I thank- to make heads or tails of it. I love it. Can I thank some people in the notes? And you can keep those names coming, Jess. I would like to thank from Indianapolis, Indiana, Joanna Warner or Werner. David Letterman country. Fluffy Moon. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Especially if it's one of those baby fluffy ones. Oh. Fluffy Moon is so good. I would like to thank now from. <laughs> I got a great one. Oh, great. I'm so excited for it. I'd like to thank now from Rotorua in the Bay of Plenty in New Zealand, it's Richard Jones riding... <laughs> Hocus Pocus Dandy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> That's so great. I can picture that, Camel. Yeah. It's got a bit of a razzle-dazzle to yeah. it. Yeah. Bit of a nightmare in the mornings to get going, but... <laughs> I've got another great one. <laughs> Well, we're going to give it to someone that Matt and I know from Birmingham in the Greatest of Britons, Helena Heath. Oh, Helena Heath. Helena Heath, who we've hung out with and been on Who Knew It with Matt Stewart, live in Birmingham. I didn't realise Helena was a patron, you legend, Helena. Amazing. Uh, And Helena's- Oh. Riding on- What's Helena riding? Unexpected cinnamon. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Where's it come from? You don't want that. It's especially if you think you're, you know, you've got a spoonful of porridge, yeah. but it's just full cinnamon. That's trouble. Oh yeah. no, that was unexpected. That was unexpected. That was unexpected cinnamon. It's coating my. Have you ever done the cinnamon challenge? No, oh, it no. looks awful. It yeah. is. It just you basically you've done can't it? breathe. Yeah, I think I did it for like community TV or something stupid like that. What a guy! What about the sprite challenges? And people do that. What's that's the one where the guy hits his head on the garage oh, door. Holy shit! That is. I watch that over and over I'm and like, over again because I'm I'm so skeptical about most of those videos. But nah. you can't fake that. Just can him you? going. What do I do? Oh no! <laughs> he has another one where two girls are sitting in a car. So you just have to get through like oh, a whole yes. can of sprite or a whole bottle of sprite or something without. Burpee, you have to do it quickly. And they're chugging it and it's, like, really painful. <laughs> and one of them's just like, oh, my God, it hurts. And the other's taking a sip and she just goes, like, there's, like, this yeah, huge burp like that comes out of it. It's incredible. I'll show you after this. Okay, great. Next. I got another good one. Here we go. Amazing. I'm over to you, Jess. Oh, damn it. Okay. No, I can read them out. You keep the names coming. Okay, you yeah, can great, great, great. I would like to thank uh, from Ferntree Gully in the ACT, Cass Cooper. Rocky Baloo. Oh, yes. Great. Rocky That's Baloo fun. across the line. I like that one. I would like to thank from Rochester. Rochester. In Great Britain, it's, here we go, Harry, Beth and Willow the cat. Well, they are all. <laughs> yes. Riding on. Secret tank. Oh, <laughs> that's appropriate. That's a big. That's a big. T- you don't realise it <laughs> until you're right up next to it, but secret tank is that's huge. A secret tank. I love it. Thanks, Harry, Beth and Willow. And finally, I'd like to thank from Lindisfarne in Tasmania, Eliza Murphy. Riding on Captain Legend. <laughs> that's great. Captain Legend is that's a that's a camel you can trust. This might be one of my new favorite websites. Oh, I love it. They, they they don't fail either. Nah, because we we get sick of it pretty quick. Otherwise, I'm I'm refreshing every time, and it's giving me six, and I then I'm combining oh, a couple. Okay. So there's a little bit of work from me here. I, I like will to say hear that. That's fantastic. A little bit of genius from yeah, me. Yeah, okay. 
Um, we don't want to leave it all up to AI. Yeah. They're going to take our jobs eventually. What about Jet Set Bentley? <laughs> so, the, the- or Gemini, Pe- Pony Express Gemini. This is good this stuff. Is real good. Thank you so much to Eliza, Harry, Beth, Willow, Cass, Helena, Richard, Joanna, Denise, Richard, and Jenna. And Helena's podcast, if you want to listen to it, is called Hey, I Love That Movie. And it's about movies they loved as a kid, or one of them, the three of them did. And they rewatch it and normally go, huh, that's more prob- problematic than I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last thing we need to do is just welcome in a ha- small handful of people into the Triptych Club, just five inductees this week. Dave, what, what's the Triptych Club all about? Well, this is basically our opportunity to shout out people we've already shouted out to before on the shout out level, but they've been there for three consecutive years now. So, to enshrine them in a Hall of Fame type ceremony, we welcome them into the Triptych Club, which is part Hall of Fame, part hangout zone, part clubhouse, Mm -hmm. where we gather with all the other people. Once you're in, you can't leave, but why would you want to? Because we've got live bands, we've got snacks, cocktails, there's an air hockey table, foosball, we play... All the sports, there's a sport area. Mm-hmm. There's, a- there's a full full AFL-sized Aussie rules ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indoors. Indoors, yeah. Indoors. It's like the new Tasmanian stadium. That's going to be indoors. It's going to have a oh, roof. Oh, it's going to have a yeah. roof. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah, it's just a great place to be. So, what we do is we shout out to these people. Jess usually organises some food and drink that we add to the menu. Yeah, camel. Camel. Ooh. Camel milk. Yep, camel and cigarettes. Camel cigarettes. <laughs> And then camel meat. I yeah. won't lie to you. There's a, a pie place that I went out of my way to go to. I can't remember the name of it. In uh, You said you wouldn't lie to us, Dave. You remember the name. No, I'll, I'll look it up for you. So, it's about an hour uh, west, I think, of Brisbane. And they do something like 200 different types of pie. Whoa, that's too many, I'd If argue. Gordon Ramsay went in there, he'd say, simplify the menu. You fucks. Yeah, yeah, it's you me- fucking toilet. Yeah. <laughs> Shut your lid, you fucking toilet, and sit before this mem- menu. Oh. <laughs> it's the old Fernvale Bakery. They do 200 different types of pie, and I got there, and I thought, you know, I'll have to try something exotic. Yeah. First one uh, I saw, I was like, all right, I've got to try the camel pie, the dual camel pie. And I was relieved when they said it's sold out, so I didn't have to eat it. I'll, I'll admit I'll admit that to you. Okay. Why'd you order it? Because, you know, when else am I going to have a camel pie? Yeah, you could have gone for like a Mexican cheese pie or something, you know? I ended up getting like, it was called something like a, a roast and it was like a full roast inside a pie. So, yeah, what, yeah. okay. So, you know, yeah. Exotic. Happy you to eat a, a baby sheep, but a, ca- a camel to you is I think it was a beef. Far. It was a beef. Oh, you're happy to eat a fully grown cow <laughs> or bull. Anyway, so yeah, They're I'm beautiful serving. animals. It's more Dave. the camel. I think the it would be quite a tough meat. Yeah, I I'm imagining that too. But I've put it in the slow cooker. Thank you for quite a long time. Yeah. I think it'll be all right, Dave. You're gonna freaking eat it. Okay, Jeff made it. You're I gonna freaking eat Sorry. it. Mate. I don't even eat meat. I slaughtered a camel for you, Dave. <laughs> she cut <laughs> oh its throat. God. She cut its beautiful long throat. It was awful, Dave. They're such a beautiful long throated animal. <laughs> All right, so let's let's welcome some people in. And, and oh, they Dave's booked a band. We've got, I booked uh, the band called Camel. 
Oh, oh great. great. I thought you might have had Friends of Rom playing A Man's on a Camel in Full, but this is even better. <laughs> this is an English progressive rock band formed in the 1970s. Uh, music journalist Mark Blake describes Camel as the great unsung heroes of the seven- of 70s prog rock. So, wow. enjoy Camel Prog rock live. is often pretty unsung. Yeah. You know, a lot of <laughs> instrumental stuff. Now, uh, five inductees this week. Firstly- <laughs> So, just seeing the, their list of albums, one of them is called I Can See Your House From Here. <laughs> <laughs> That's- Awesome. I like that very much. Sorry. From address unknown, first up, I'd love to welcome into the club. And Dave, sorry, I should say, is the MC. Well, yeah, gonna he's going to hype them up. You ready to hype up, Dave? Let me hype. Let me hype. Jess will hype Dave up. I'm ready. He's very- he's he needs Self-esteem's it. low. All right. From address unknown, please welcome in Daniel Pilgard. Well, I was feeling a bit defensive, but I've let down my Pilgard yeah! for Daniel. Be vulnerable. Yeah, I'm real for Woo-hoo! you. I'd also love to welcome in from Belfast. In Northern Ireland, it's Mike Lawrenson. It's Belfast's favourite Lawrence son. Yes! Favourite, favourite son, Mike Lawrence son. Woo! From Eton in Western Australia, it's Adam DeMarti. Let me buy you a DeMartini. Yum! Put on the matab. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also love to welcome in from Albuquerque, New Mexico, Kayla Marvin. Well, can I just say to you, what's going on, Kayla Marvin Gay? Yes. There was an episode a few weeks ago of Who Knew It, Matt Stewart, and one of the questions was, what does Albuquerque mean? The episode with Cass and Oh, I'd like Dane to know Simpson. that. I'd love to listen. And finally, from Kensington in Victoria, Australia, it's Holly Griffiths. Holly Griffiths, it's Holly Griffiths. Welcome in, Holly, Kayla, Adam, Mike, and Daniel. Make yourselves at home. Mi casa, su casa. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the camel, the food, and band. (laughs) And cigarettes. (laughs) And that brings us to the end of the episode. Is there anything we need to tell people before we go, Bob? Uh, That we love them. Mm-hmm. And that anybody can suggest a topic, there's a link in the show notes, and you can also go to our website, which is dogoonpod.com, where you can find all that information as well. You can find us on social media at dogoonpod, um, and follow us and love us, please. <laughs> please love us online. <laughs> Boot at home, D-dubs. Hey, we'll be back next week with another episode. We are rocketing towards 400. Can you believe it? They said I it couldn't be done. I can't We are proving it. them wrong week by week. We'll be back And until then, I'll say thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Later. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.